Welcome to Anything Goes, the best geek and pop culture show broadcast in Long Island, New York. I'm your host, Timothy Rooney, and we're back with a brand new episode, and we're hitting the concluding chapter of the Russo retrospective. I know it's taking a little while to get to the end game that we're in right now, but um, like all things... All good things happen to those who wait, and that's what we did for this episode. Now, if I'm talking about the Russo brothers, especially when it comes to the MCU, I got to have a co-host with me and the person who loves the Russo brothers movies more than anybody else that I know of, and he's covered all the three previous entries in the series, and he is the co-host of Fans Without Borders and Marvel Squad guest, Mr. Brent Clark. How are you doing, Brent? I'm doing great. You know, we had to wait a year for this movie from the end of Infinity War. I just thought we were waiting a while for the podcast about it. You know, that's my, my fault. That I was just, I thought we were reliving the moment. Well, yeah. And, and, and like, if you, I, you could totally see that going that way and everything, but like, uh, you think like, ah, oh, wow. A year in between, uh, Avengers movies, like, ah, huh, that'll never happen again. You'll never feel that kind of, uh, kind of, um, displacement from uh, entertainment that'll never happen in our lifetimes ever again uh-huh. yeah yeah no how about a uh, 563 days between mcu installments that one felt like an eternity i tell you oh man it, it, it is like like i never counted the days i did i get told i'm not surprised in the least you counted the days between I mean, spider-man I, far from home and wandavision <laughs> i googled the dates. you can google that <laughs> How many days between this day and that day? I mean, let's be clear. I just not like I looked at a calendar. One, two, three, five hundred sixty-two, five hundred sixty-three. <laughs> what Brent is not uh, revealing to the listeners is the fact that he has like a wall secretly, kind of like how Ray does in Force Awakens, where he scratched little, little bit marks That's on the right. wall, just saying how many days. <laughs> I should have done that. Oh, if only I had thought of it. But instead of just a, it's it's in the Iron Man helmet, it's on the Jakku, and he's made marks in there. Oh, jeez. But like I said, it was talking about the Avengers Endgame, so let's jump to our view of it right now. Okay, now, Brent, before we get to your memories of seeing this movie multiple times in the theater, I'll ask you, what was your expectations going into this one? You know, for me, going into it was all about who's going to live and survive among three people. Iron Man, Captain America, and the Winter Soldier. It was those three people, and I thought, if Iron Man dies, Captain America will live. If Captain America dies, Iron Man will live, and Bucky will probably also die with him because, you know, they're together to the end of the line. Uh, That was, like, the big focus for me is because, like, Spider-Man aside, Captain America and his supporting cast, Falcon, Bucky, etc., like, they're my favorite people in in the MCU. So you can imagine I'm pretty excited for the Falcon and Winter Soldier TV show that's coming up here, getting six more hours roughly of time with that cast. I was, uh, 
I have never anticipated a movie like I did this one ever. And frankly, I doubt I ever will again. I can't, I, I mean, I shouldn't say never, but right now I can't fathom the scenario that builds my personal hype even close to what it was for Endgame. It was just, I mean, to me, it was something completely unheard of. I'd never experienced something like that at the movies. I bet most of us can actually say that, that we haven't experienced something like that in the movies. Sure, there are other movies that people have felt that hype, but in general, it was such a unique experience. And I was, I was terrified of getting spoiled. And so my Fans Without Borders co-host Ray texted me one night and I'd have to go back and do some digging to find when it actually happened. But he texted me and said, a massive leak just came out. I don't know if it's true, but just be warned. And so I got on Twitter, posted and said, see you on the other side. I'm out. I'm not risking it. I'm out. And I basically just took Twitter off my phone and said, I, I can't risk it. I got, it can't be, if it's on my phone, my muscle memory will just open it out of boredom when I'm standing in line at the grocery store or something. And I did it. I got to in game with no spoilers. Like I sat down, I'm at, I'm in a totally different theater. I'm in the wrong theater, which is a whole nother story, but I sat down and I've got my wife on one side of me, my Marvel Squadcast co-host Brock next to her and the other side of me, my brother-in-law and my dad, which is like the max group that normally goes. Usually it's a subset of that group who goes to these things opening night. But for this one, everybody made it work. And I'm like, I sat down and just breathed a sigh of relief. It's like, ah, I got there. No spoilers. Roll the movie. And it was such a relief to get to that point. Very nice. And I think the only thing that could probably match the, match that expectations within you is that if tomorrow they announce a new Daredevil series coming from Disney Plus with the original cast from Netflix uh, being ported over. I, I mean, I would love that. Daredevil is one of my favorite Marvel characters. I mean, he's not he's not Spider-Man, but I love Daredevil. And I tell you, I've wanted to see, like, Spider-Man and Daredevil in live action together for a long time. And, like, when the Ben Affleck Daredevil movie came out, I liked it a lot. I really enjoyed it. I still like that movie. And I'm like, I want to see him and Tobey Maguire team up. And that is really before I followed it as closely of, like, the licensing of who has what characters and stuff. But now it's like... Daredevil, the full licenses are with Marvel. Spider-Man has this deal. It's possible. And there's rumors of it maybe possibly happening. Fingers crossed. It's not going to reach in-game for me. But it would still be pretty big. It would still be... Honestly, this might be blasphemy to other Spider-Man fans. I would rather have Charlie Cox's Daredevil in the next Spider-Man movie than Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield. If I really had to pick one or the other, I've already got a Spider-Man. I want to see Daredevil with him. That is at Brentech Prime on Twitter, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. That's right. That's right. <laughs> oh, no, it's totally fair because, I mean, Toby had a complete story. Um, and Andrew had a story. One, a story. <laughs> a story. <laughs> a story. And then he had a, oh, a cacophony of ideas in the second one that never, that didn't really amount to a complete story that's right there. Right. That's about right. Um, but it does like I, I'll I will say for the Amazing Spider-Man two I love that ending um, between um, him and Rhino because it's like a splash page come to life and it's very comic booky. We open on a, a, a story and then we end on a completely different story. But 
even though it makes makes no sense. Like I'm like that mother should have ran out to grab her kid who faced down the rhino. But that's I'm gonna make I myself mean, angry. To be fair, about the that. whole crowd should have been gone. They all should have taken off and been running away. But I, I yeah, call me a sucker. But when Andrew is the Andrew Spider Man is up there with that little kid and he thanks him for you know holding down the fort for him. I'm a sucker, but I, I still like that moment. As cheesy as it is, I'm like, all right, you got me with this one. Yeah, I mean, it's better than the altar ending where Peter's father is somehow alive and it's like, oh, I've been hiding from you your entire life, Peter. Will you still love me? No, no. <laughs> we, uh, Peter's parents have come back before a couple times in the comics this way or that way, and it's never ended well. And I would not anticipate that being any different in the movies. No, and like I, I really had this idea the other day. I was going to take that fight scene that Peter's father has in the play in the very beginning of that movie and just score that to Secret Agent Man because I'm like, that's pretty much what that scene is, is as baffling as that is. But anyway, uh, for Avengers Endgame, for me, I saw this with one of my closest friends, Dakota, and I remember getting to the theater and the – the parking lot, the plaza, it's in. It's in with a bunch of other stores. There's the movie theater in the corner, but there is a, uh, a bunch of small shops. There's a gym there. There's like a a furniture store and everything. And, or there's a Red Lobster on the other side, a bank. And so it's a pretty populated parking lot or plaza, I should say. And nearly every parking space was taken up when we got there. So I parked like nearly 100 yards away from the movie theater itself. We have already gotten our tickets. It is a... 620 showing something like that something really random because the the movie theater is expected like yeah whatever else is opening this weekend we're gonna give them one screen like one show type everything else is avengers and i remember the electricity in the crowd of that of that screening and especially opening weekend screenings um have a different vibe than obviously a few weeks later because the people there opening weekend especially opening night are the diehards. They're the ones who are the most jazz uh, for whatever movie you're seeing. And so I know a lot of people say, speak like I, I made this joke on Twitter not too long ago that, yeah, the, like people say like, ah, oh, death to movie theaters. We can watch everything from home. And I posted the a video, a video of people reacting to stuff in Infinity War. I'm like, you can't replicate that at home. And that kind of experience was doubly so in Avengers Endgame. And, it is just, it seemed like a million years uh, away for us now that we were just like all cramped in the theater side by side to watch the Avengers Endgame. You know, I'm, I'm reminded of like, there's a video um, going around, uh, or that was going around, you can still find it on YouTube, of a guy with a trumpet. And he's there with his buddy with a guitar. And they're playing the Avengers theme, waiting on it to open. And they just, as like as the song picks up and kicks into gear, they stand up and really get into it. And it's like, you're right. I'm a big proponent of streaming and being able to watch movies at home and stuff. But I'm also a big proponent of choice and being able to do it in a theater if that's a safe option to do. You can't replicate that at home. I'm sorry. It's like when I, the, when I watched... Mulan with my wife, which was technically like, well, no, not even Mulan. I guess Wonder Woman would have been like the last movie, big movie release we watched at home. And it was my wife, my sister-in-law and I, it's like, that wasn't the same atmosphere as what would have happened at a movie theater. You can't. And I mean, the environment of Avengers in game was already really unique, but no, of course you're not going to be able to replicate that. And 
I know there's those videos that go around of like the portal scene and like people start coming back and everyone's cheering and the crowd is going absolute ballistic. And I really don't know how I would feel if I had been in that crowd for like my first viewing of the movie, but I do really like watching that video. And my crowds were definitely loud. They were all opening weekend. Every time I saw the movie, which was several times, the crowd like was very much into it. Not like these videos you see though. And I've seen two or three different videos and you can tell they're different. They're not just all the same one. Like they're different crowds, but it's just, it's fun. And it's an experience that I am really, really thankful that I had with, you know, I've seen one movie in the last in theaters in the last 12 months. One I've gone one time and hopefully my next time will be black widow. We'll find out what happens, but I am really, really thankful that Avengers Endgame came out in 2019 and not 2020 because, oh my gosh, I would have been crushed as far as my Marvel loving heart goes. Just crushed. Yeah, it, it, like I, I made the cynical, like, like I joke just like, I, I, it, this is like, it's never going to get better from this. And then we immediately get the sobering effect like, yeah, it's not going to get anything like that for a, a quite some time anyway. Uh, hopefully soon things will be getting back to normal. I mean, as many uh, vaccines are being administered today is very promising. And I, I even made a joke late last year to my friend Sebastian like, I'm like, I'm pulling a Babe Ruth and I'm pointing to summer and I will be visiting you in Chicago in summer of 2021. It's like, you're calling a shot? And I said, yes, I'm calling my shot. And hopefully as things work out, things will uh, will be able to do that. And that of the CDC saying, yeah, we can be getting back to a slight sense of normalcy very soon. I'm like, okay, cool. And with this, before I say that, going back to what you're saying with the uber excited crowds and everything yeah it seems like you're at a football match between liverpool and manchester united like and just the it is overwhelming how people get into it um my crowd was not like that but sure we all cheered and everything but we weren't like yeah we're gonna tear the seats up out from the rivets and we're gonna throw them at the screen because that's how excited we are we're gonna destroy the movie that's how excited we are uh, we're going to go feral and destroy the movie theater. But it is like it's I, I, hindsight being 2020. I wish I could take a snapshot of that moment. There. It's like, huh? And like, that's where the freeze frame should have happened. And the voiceover would have faded in like, yeah. And that's where we all screwed it up. And yeah. And then we would see what happened in 2020. But you saw this multiple times in theater, didn't you? Yeah, um, seven times total, which is my personal record for most times seeing a movie in the theater. I saw it four times opening weekend, which includes the Thursday night uh, preview night, if you will. Um, the The previous record for me was actually Infinity War at five times. And I don't remember if I went into in-game thinking this, but I know for sure after I ended up loving it so much and seeing four four times that opening weekend, which for the record, really only two or maybe three were planned. The, the fourth one definitely wasn't planned. Um, but there was an extra one in there that my wife wanted to go see it again. And her kids were – or her kids – her parents were able to watch our kids, and I wasn't going to say no. I mean, I was like, I'm not sending you by yourself. I'm going to go too, obviously. And so – 
you know, I didn't, I normally see it at an AMC, uh, AMC that has 20 screens, five minutes from my house, right? There's like mm-hmm. two stoplights and they're both right turns. It takes nothing to get to the parking lot there. And they were under construction for the bulk of Avengers and games run. And so they were, they, they weren't even actually open opening weekend for Avengers in game. So I ended up seeing it at some other theater. It was a little bit smaller and it worked out fine. The screen was fine. It just wasn't my home theater that I had literally seen every other MCU movie in at least once. And then I went to the other three times we're at a different chain on either side of the Kansas city area and ended up really enjoyed those experiences. I'm glad I saw them in those theaters because it was massive, massive screen, like bigger than your regular IMAX and a couple of them, super comfortable chairs, great experience. Saw it. And after I got through that week and I'm like, okay, well, I'm going to see it for sure. Six times. It's going to be my record. I love this movie. I'm going two more times. And I did it. I got to the sixth time on in June, right? So June 5th was my sixth time seeing it. And then they did. So, well, how do I put this? They almost did something that made me very leery. Cause I don't like it. I more than once have said, I'm not a fan of alternate cuts. It's not my thing. It's not my bag. Put out the movie you want to put out, and then that's it. That's your movie. And jumping way ahead, yes, I saw the alternate cut of Spider-Man Far From Home, but that was because the night I saw it, I was celebrating. That was my personal celebration that Sony and Marvel extended their deal. They came back to a deal because, you know, there was the whole divorce between them. They came back. They had a deal. I didn't have the option to go pick the regular cut. I had to see the extended one. And hey, it technically is theatrical because it was in theaters. But I, I'm i like, I wish you just put the four minutes in to begin with or not put it all. So when Avengers Endgame, well, I've hit it. I'm there. I've hit my six. There starts being these rumors of, oh, where there's going to be extra scenes and extra footage and some special features added. And I'm like, I, I'm going to go see it. There's no way anything related to that movie is coming out theatrically that I don't see. But I don't want an extended cut of the movie not that it was too long i just don't i want like it's just it's my hang-up it's my hang-up and so i went and that that seventh time and i was so happy that the movie was the same movie and then here's a deleted scene with hulk with not even finished special effects and here's like a special feature on stan lee and stuff and like that it's like oh the blu-ray specials that's all they put on there that's all they put on there and they called it a re-release which i'm like yeah it's questionable terminology there but whatever it worked on me i went and saw it because i needed to see that stuff so yeah seven times total um i don't remember i want to say far from home i i think i ended up seeing it five times two matching infinity war but I'll tell you right now, if Black Widow comes out, I'll probably see it in theaters once. If it's if it's premiere access, I'll go to the theaters one time and premiere access it. If it's only theatrical, I'll maybe go see it twice. It's like how many, I, I can't justify to myself risking – and by then, I, I'm lucky enough that by then, like, I will be fully vaccinated. I will have had my second shot and be – but still, it's like I can't – I don't want to risk picking anything up. Even if it doesn't affect me, I don't want it to affect other people. So I'll be a Lear. I won't get to go see Black Widow as many times as I would have liked as many times as I, I normally would go at least three times minimum. And that's all right though. If, if Avengers in game is the last big hurrah for me with, you know, the little chaser of far from home, that's fine, I guess. Yeah. When it comes to re-releases, I guess you could say what I told you was true from a certain point of view in the words of Obi-Wan Kenobi. <laughs> yes. From a certain point of view. That's right. 
it, it really was you could argue that it was egregious on Marvel's part there and, and obviously it was just to get to the two billion mark to mm-hmm. yeah. to outpace Avatar sure which they did barely not by much if Avatar has another re-release it could retake the crown or it could have before COVID I mean you tell me they're not going to put out Avatar again before Avatar 2? Well, they will, but the question now... Well, you know what? I can, I can make an argument for why they wouldn't, but I do think they will. But how many people are going to go see the movie that they've already seen in a COVID, post-COVID world or in a midst of COVID world? If you're, I don't, Maybe it's just me, but if I'm going to take the risk inherent with going to the theater, I want to see something new. Well, in the, the market that... That um, saw it the most was was in China. Mm-hmm. China loves Avatar, and they they've got their stuff under control now. Yeah, and yeah they're doing much being, better. But like you also like, I can see it from 20th Century Fox's point of view. Like, hey, people who are kids that saw Avatar now have kids, so maybe we should put this out before we put up the sequel to remind them what they uh, what they enjoyed. The only uh, reason I can think against it from Disney's perspective. Is Disney produced, made, distributed, in-game. They didn't do all that for Avatar. It was still Fox's record, Fox's movie. Everybody knows it. The, to the people who know the trivia of what's the highest grossing movie of all time, they also know who made the movie. And Disney may own Avatar now, but they did not make Avatar. So that's the only reason I can think of for why they didn't do it. But you know what? When it boils down to it, they like money. If they think they can make money doing it, they're going to do it. The only real reason they won't is if they don't think it'll be profitable. Right. And, like, I could see Cameron trying to throw his weight around like that. Um, I don't know if it would do any good. But at this point, since Disney owns Fox now, it would just be money going into one pocket versus another. Right, right. Um, But also, if we... Let me put my film nerd cap right now. If you adjust for inflation, Gone with the Wind is still the most profitable movie of all time. Yeah, but that's that's a pretty flawed argument because there's lots of other things that go into besides just inflation. So like the whole economies are different. It doesn't it, it's not really comparing apples to apples the way people think it is. There right. is no true way to compare the you could maybe do tickets sold. But even that's not exactly right because, well, if the ticket proportionately costs more or less, maybe they, oh, I'll go see the movie because I can buy two tickets for the price of one or something instead of one. Mm. So there's not really a great way to compare a movie such as Gone with the Wind to a movie that comes out in 2019. And it's it's not even a great comparison to when Avatar came out, you know, even with the 10 or 12, however many years it was difference. It right. is It is a rough... There's no truly great way. That's that's why, I mean, you shouldn't hear anyone say, it's oh, it's the greatest movie of all time because it made the most money. Or it's the greatest movie of all time because it made the most tickets. No, what you should hear is, it's my favorite movie, and here's why. But it's cool that it, regardless of where it stands and all that stuff, objectively, for that couple months, it was a phenomenon. And it made yes. money like crazy. I mean, it cleared a billion dollars its opening weekend. Unheard of. Unheard of. And so it is still objectively was objectively a worldwide phenomenon. Everybody, I mean, everybody was talking in game and you, you were seeing like 
you go talk to the normals, the casuals, even they were talking in game or saying, I haven't got to see it yet. Don't spoil me on it. I mean, it, it was crazy, but yeah, you would meet people three weeks, four weeks out who just legitimately hadn't had a chance to go see it, but they were every bit as eager to see it. And so regardless of where it stands in the box office rankings and by what measurement you want to give it, I mean, at this point, Disney still, they own Avatar, they own Avengers. They really probably aren't too concerned if Avatar does take it over. Yeah. And, but also Gone with the Wind was re-released over the course of decades. So, and so that, that's yeah, the so accumulation Yeah, so money has inflation also. It's like, well, the dollars that you, 20 years after release are not worth the same as what they were when it, it that's why it's such a hard comparison and there's way more minutia that you have to get into than you can do on Twitter, which is where all this takes place, right? Right. Because the people who are actually making decisions and making the movies, they, they really don't give a shit. Mm-hmm. It's just the it's just uh, us uh, us nerds and so on social media trying to uh, prop ourselves up with how knowledgeable we are. Um, wow, those kind of a uh, that was kind of revealing. Excuse me. Um, yeah, I feel so, I feel attacked. I'm a little attacked right now. <laughs> um, but the movie itself opens up, and a lot of people are wondering, like, how is it going to open up? Like, will it be like it'll be moments after the happen? Or will we be in Wakanda? But no, we open in on a farm, a very familiar farm because it is Clint Barton's farm, and since he's under house arrest, answering the question, where was he during the events of Infinity War? He's teaching his daughter how, how to be an archer or teaching her archery. But while he's going to pick up uh, some arrows that she, his daughter had uh, fired, that's when we see the dust. And we open up the movie with his family being dusted by the snap. And the whole theater is collectively like, oh, no. Yeah, kind of rough. It's this just touching family moment, you know. He's teaching his daughter, working with his daughter in archery. His boys are playing catch. They're about to have some lunch. Mom's like, oh, what do you want on your hot dog? And they're they're just a nice family time outside. And then it's like, oh, no, we're going to remind you, just in case you somehow forgot, we're just going to put you right back in the headspace of where you were a year ago. And you know what that dust means. We didn't actually see anyone get snapped, but we saw the immediate after effects with the dust in the air. And mm. collective groan from the crowd immediately. It's like, oh no! <laughs> and that's where it starts, ladies and gentlemen. Um, and then we cut to space, uh, but no title card this time, sadly. But I love the finger football that's being played between Tony Stark and Nebula as they are trying to make their way back to Earth. But the ship that they have is is running low on supplies. But there's a nice little character moment here where. Nebula wins the finger football game against Tony, and Tony shakes his hands like, hey, you won. And it's probably the first thing she's ever gotten a compliment on from anybody. And so that's why she recoils from the idea of like of, of the handshake. It's, it's so foreign to her nature. And it's a little detail that plays into her character arc throughout the movie. And it's moments like these that I really enjoy in this movie. Yeah, she she had never won anything before. You know, back in the Guardians, she had she had talked about once with Gamora, where it's like she told Gamora, I don't remember the exact quote, but something to the effect of, "I wanted a sister, and you just wanted to win." And 
Gamora was better than her when it came to fighting. She always won. Nebula had never won anything other than maybe like something in combat against somebody not Gamora because she never could beat Gamora. Mm. And so just her being told, hey, you won. Good job. And like Tony extending his hand in friendship and like, you know, kind of like the old kids soccer game. Good game. Good game. Good game. He was just doing that kind of thing. And it was it was the whole opening scene is pretty touching. Like Nebula cares for him, like actually takes care of him some and like gives, gives him a blanket at one point or helps him get to sleep or gives him whatever food rations, potato chip thing they were eating. And it, it's just it's not a side of Nebula we're really used to seeing. We got a little bit of it in Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2, and they really expanded on it in this one. Right. And it's one. I think it's the strength and I think it's part of the detriments of this movie, and I'll get into that a little bit later, but the fact that this is the concluding chapter that had 21 previous entries leading up to this point. Because um, the plot hinges on that uh, very drastically in the second act. But it's... And Tony leaves a testimonial to Pepper saying, if this ever gets back to you, this is what happened. I love you. Um, we try to make it back, but the blue meanie and I couldn't make it work, but... Um, he still loves her, and it seems like Tony's very gaunt. He's on death's door, and it seems like, oh, is he going to go out, like, not with a bang, but a whimper here? But thankfully, uh, the newest addition to the MCU, Captain Marvel, is able to find them and bring the ship back to Earth. And it's one of my favorite shots of the whole movie is looking up from the Avengers compound, seeing the ship come from the background, and then we we rack focus on something in the foreground. It's Pepper is still alive. I'm like, and like I li- I remember legit having a sigh of relief. Like, oh, Pepper survived the snap, and then that the, she is okay. Like that's something I was legit worried about because we didn't know what happened to her at the end of Infinity War. But this leads to a conversation with the remaining members of the Avengers of what happened right there. And needless to say, Captain America and Tony Stark. Their issues from Civil War are not resolved yet. You, you mean that movie did have ramifications? That movie just wasn't all hunky-dory, <laughs> let's just shake hands and call it good at the end of Civil War like people like to claim? Oh, no, of course not. I mean, some people will burn that pulling their punches in that fight there, but also other people were throwing cars at each other. So <laughs> And they got called out for pulling your punches. You're pulling your punches. That's why I flung her across... <laughs> Clint was pulling his punches. Wanda was not. Um, you mentioned how like gaunt uh, Tony was looking, and I'm reminded of the trailers for this. Like that scene of him talking to the helmet, recording the message. We saw parts of that in the trailer, but he did not look like that. We did not see the full CGI'd version of it where he had that look on him. And then you also mentioned like the the sigh of relief you had when Pepper like came into view of the camera in the trailers. She wasn't in it. We didn't see it. There was an obvious gap where somebody was, but they had like CGI'd her out. And a lot of people thought maybe that's Carol. Maybe that's Captain Marvel in that scene looking up at whatever lands. And no, it was Pepper. And they just, for whatever reason, wanted to leave us hanging. And it really was like there's these characters that when when Endgame started, we did not know their status. We did not see everybody who snapped got snapped. And we did not see everybody who survived survive the snap. So we didn't know that Pepper survived. And later when we find out that Shuri got snapped, we didn't know that Shuri got snapped because they didn't show either of those things on screen. So it still kind of felt like 
it, it, you know, the marketing to this had like those, all those character posters, like the headshots and they were like grayed out for the fallen and in color for the people who were still alive. And it's like, you, you could know every single character of all those character posters of what their status was, but you were still kind of playing catch up. Who's alive. Who's not, who's around. And yeah, like you, I was glad to see that pepper survived. Right. And like, when you think of those posters of like those fallen and still alive, I'm reminded of the days of future past poster where it's, it's Wolverine in front of Kitty Pride and all the posters behind him, all the dead mutants behind him and the Sentinels are surrounding them. Yes. That's what I, I think of when I, I think of that, that image. And, I do like the argument between Tony and and Steve here where Tony kind of doubles down on his efforts in Age of Ultron, a movie that people thought was just set up and didn't was not going to pay off whatsoever and later down the line. Um, and saying, like, yeah, I was going to build a, a suit of armor around the world, but no, nobody wanted that. But he does conveniently forget that Ultron was the result of that. but It was, but to be fair, Ultron, he gets a little bit of a bad rap for that. He definitely opened the door that Ultron went, came about, but he didn't, he didn't like go all the way. Like They made a point very specifically of saying they were unable to make Ultron. Something triggered, probably the Mind Stone, triggered Ultron's creation there at the end. Yeah, and as we know... All of the Infinity Stones have a little bit of their mind of their own. Um, uh, by just look at the the recent revelations in WandaVision and how Wanda officially got her powers or awakened to her powers. We don't uh, know yet, <laughs> or enhanced. As we say, do like, know. Let me put that quotation no right there. But we do know. <laughs> yes. Um, by the time we're recording this, it's less than a week since the the finale of WandaVision. But it is. I am kind of glad they're recording this post WandaVision so we can talk more about the climax of this movie. But um Carol Danvers like she's like, oh they found out where um Thanos is in. He's on his uh, uh, remote planet. And Carol's like, I'm gonna go kill him. And everybody's like, no, you're we gotta work as a team here. We gotta do this at we gotta do this right. Um and Thor of all of them is feeling the most guilty because he let his personal vengeance resulted in half the universe being obliterated. And so he's taking a lot on himself right here. He accepts Carol to be part of the Avengers and they decide to go after the son of a bitch and the Avengers working at whatever capacity they have. They're able to surprise Thanos who's destroyed the stones and like, Oh shit, we can't just snap everybody back now because he's destroyed the stones and they don't know what to do. But Thor does the most rational thing by cutting off the head of Thanos. <laughs> the most rational thing. Yeah, I mean, Thor, he had him. You know, he had him at the end of Infinity War. And there's so many times in Infinity War when the Avengers could have won. Or at the very least, could have uh, drawn to a tie, right? Like, they could have stopped Thanos from collecting all the stones. And even once he had him, Thor let his hubris, Thor let his arrogance get in the way. His need to be able to look Thanos in the eye and say, I'm the one who ended you. And Thanos, of course, says you should have gone for the head. And... I re I remember I don't remember m my crowds laughing at this scene, but I heard stories of people laughing when Thor says he went for the head, and it's like uh, they don't realize that this wasn't a joke. Like he's serious here. It's like he finally did what he was supposed to have done twenty three days earlier, or whatever, however many days it was. I don't remember. Um, 
I do think it's worth noting that at this point, we don't know where the Infinity Stones status are in the MCU. Presumably, their energy is still out there. He used the stones to destroy the stones. Can they be put back together? Is it like just a bunch of powder somewhere? I don't know. I do think... I think we'll see them again. I don't think we've seen the last of the Infinity Stones in, let's say, new new scenes. Not counting flashbacks, but in new scenes set in the present day chronologically. Well, yeah, I think they should gather the powder and get Batman 66 together to put everybody back into their correct tubes and everything and reconfigure the Infinity Stones like they do with the people in the United Nations in Batman 66, the movie. I mean, most historic crossover of all time in that case, if that were to happen. <laughs> <laughs> um, and my crowd did a Gloriously laugh at that line of Thor cutting off his head with the, the and I love on the commentary track the Russo brothers were like yeah that was supposed to be kind of like a <laughs> that's not really funny and kind of came off like people thought it was a quip and he's like well that's kind of bad on our part right there um but so Thanos is dead and as an audience member I'm sitting there and I'm like well what do they do now and then all of a sudden just cuts to black. And it says five years later, and I'm like, no. And we have a time jump. And this is something that people thought was possible, but was highly unlikely on the bingo card of possible outcomes for Avengers Endgame. But here we are. And as a New York Mets, New York Mets fan, it is kind of disheartening to see the city field is empty there when they're doing the aerial shot there. I'm like, that's how that's how city field set felt to me all 2020. Um, but I do love the fact that Cap has taken on the reins of what uh, Falcon was doing and he was mm-hmm. he's leading the uh, group therapy the, the group uh, therapy sessions which um, kudos to two things. One, I think it's I don't know if it's Anthony or Joe Russo that's in the scene with them. Joe, I believe. And most of all, Jim Starlin's also in the scene with them. Right, right. Um, which, like, it was weird that there was a little bit of a controversy prior to these movies coming out that, like, he was, Starlin was quite vocal about the royalties coming from Marvel compared to the royalties coming from Warner Brothers or from, from DC Comics. Yeah, I don't remember... I don't remember what he said exactly, but it was something to the effect of he made more money off of KG Beast being in BVS than he did off of Thanos in Infinity War, which at some level I'm like, well, there must not have been too much ill will because you were still willing to be in the movie. But I, I, I never found out if there was any kind of resolution. Was he, I'm, I'm sure he was paid whatever he was contractually obligated you would like to think they would have taken a little extra care of him. No idea if they ever did. I never heard. It's not something I ever followed up with. I just never found out. I I remember reading an article covering this. I'm pretty sure he did. He did get uh, compensation for that. And it's not the only person who's kind of made that argument or brought this issue, I should say. Because I remember Denny O'Neill saying like he got like nothing for Obadiah Stain in Iron Man. But then again, Marvel was an independent studio at that point through Paramount. So I, mm-hmm. I'm not surprised they, he didn't get that huge royalties compared to maybe something like Ra's al Ghul with uh, DC Comics and in the Nolan uh, Batman movies. But 
I, it's, I, I'm two minds of the time jump because I think it is bold in the fact that like, oh, we are committing to this and we are going to be committing to a time travel plot later on. But something that a few people brought up there during the time jump, there's a lot of character development we just get hinted at in the time jump. Sure, sure. And I'm like, ah, like it's like, dandy do, dandy don't kind of thing. I don't know how you feel about that. Well, I mean, initially I saw five years later, and well, that yes, that was shocking. It's followed up by, so they're going to time travel and reset everything. Well, obviously that's not actually what happened. Mm. Um, which credit to them for sticking with it when 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 it ended, it was five years later when that movie ended. Uh, as far as the character development goes. Who are you talking about there? Because I feel like there's only two characters you're really talking about, and I want to I want to know if I'm right. Uh, Hulk. That's one. Um, uh, and um, uh, Natasha. Well, okay, I was wrong. Um, I would I thought you were gonna say Clint for the second one. Well, that I think Clint makes a lot. I I, I can I can see that a little bit easier. Him five years of him going down and. We later find out that he's been cutting up uh, uh, gangsters and criminals the world over. He's basically and, been acting like the Punisher. Yes. And his and, rationale being like, half of life is already gone. and You're still trying to profit off the suffering of others, so you don't deserve life. That's right. his modus operandi. Um, and Hulk, I'm just like, I don't know. I, maybe I would like the, the decision-making process and maybe even seeing the merging of Banner and Hulk. So there's definitely a story there to tell. There's room for a story. And, you know, originally we were going to see that in Infinity War, in the Battle of Wakanda. We were going to see the merging happen, but I believe it's on the – I don't remember if it's the Infinity War or if it's the Endgame. In one of their commentaries, they basically say that would have been like a win for the Avengers, and they didn't want the Avengers to have a win in Infinity War. It was all about them losing. So that's why it got punted to this movie. And then – I don't know why they didn't show it other than just a time factor. Maybe they just wanted the shock that every single crowd had the first time you saw Smart Hulk, Professor Hulk, whatever you want to call him. It, mm-hmm. In a perfect world with distribution rights not being a hang-up and things like that, I would be very interested to see the story of how Bruce did it, how he right. pulled this off. That said, for the story they're telling for Avengers Endgame, I don't think it's really relevant to it, it's interesting, but I don't think it's relevant because knowing how he did it doesn't change anything about what happens in Endgame. All we have to know is what he tells us in the diner. He went into a lab for 18 months and he came out combined. Would I like to know more specifics? Sure, especially the part of me that just wants to know everything that happens. Mm. Uh, regarding Black Widow, to me, it seems more like I, I get, I, I feel a little different, like. I think more of what happened with Clint is would be the more interesting story there. Black Widow, oh, she stuck with what Avengers survived, and she took a leadership role because a lot of the people in charge were uh, a lot of the leaders. She was one of the vets. She took a leadership role. That that fits, I think. Captain America, he's still doing, I mean, more or less what he's been doing. And we, we see him, he's picking up for Sam. He's kind of honoring his friend that way. Clint, for me, it's like, he, I don't believe he just had a light, like a switch flipped. Like I'd be surprised to learn he just a light switch went off and suddenly he's being Punisher dressed like Ronan, formerly Hawkeye. It's, 
I feel more, and I think we are supposed to see some of that in the Hawkeye Disney Plus show. I could be mistaken, but I think I remember reading they're going to include some of that in flashbacks. But I'd be kind of interested to see, like, and again, the same thing I said about Hulk. It doesn't really matter for this story. I would just like to see it. How did he get to that point? When did he first cross that line? When, like, what was the first person that he could have hauled in and instead chose to kill? I would like to see that story. I just, I don't need that story for this one. Right. I mean, like, you could have had the win of the merging of Hulk and Banner because it could have been a false victory. Like, like, oh, they, like, oh, they have the big gun on their side, but still not enough. Like, you think it's going to go their way. But to be fair, I, that you do kind of have that with Thor arriving in Wakanda. You think, oh, one of their biggest allies is on, is on the playing field right now. So the odds are definitely stacking their side right now, especially with the new weapon he's he's holding. But I understand the rationale of that. Um, yeah, it, it would be cool to see, like, kind of like how in the Watchmen movie, when we see Rorschach, he's no longer arresting people. When he finally starts to cross that line, that could be an interesting thing to be seen in the Hawkeye TV series. And when... Uh, Steve visits uh, the Avengers um, compound. Uh, I do love the little the pr- the prediction of Zoom call conversation. Just a high def version of that between the remaining Avengers and Natasha while she's there, and everybody's across the universe discussing things they're doing. And there may be a hint to Namor in this conversation. People have speculated that officially, no. Officially, the officially. directors have said no. Or the writers, maybe it was Marcus McFeely who said that. But retroactively, it's super easy to include if they want to. Right. Uh, and Steve and Natasha um, discuss the fact like people change, people move on, but not us. We hold the line. We remember what life was like. And speaking of people who remember what life was like, that's when um, Ant-Man comes out of the quantum zone by the the real hero of the movie. <laughs> <laughs> that one rat. Now, I know there is a storytelling conceit that, like, coincidences, coincidences should not help the protagonist. It should always be a detriment. So there's a little bit of a cheat. And even the writers on the commentary oh, yeah. admit this. Oh, yeah. Like, oh, yeah, it just so happens to start up the quantum realm and lets uh, Scott Lang out of there, who thinks... He's been gone for five hours, but no, it's been five years. And it leads to like the first time I'm crying in this movie when he gets back, he gets out of the, the, uh, storage facility that he's in and he looks for his daughter. It seemed like his daughter has survived the snap, even though people are not really talking about what's going on here because the world's in a little bit still disarray and he sees his, his little girl's grown up into a teenager and, Every time, every time I watch this, I get misty-eyed at this moment here when he's reunited with his grown-up daughter. Yeah, it's it's a beautiful moment. It's super well acted by Paul Rudd. And I, I know a lot of people see him and just think, oh, he's a comedian, so you know that's all he does. But it's like, no, comedians tend to be very, very good dramatic actors. And he really turns it on. For me, the line that gets me is when he just looks at her and says, you're so big. <laughs> it's like, yeah, you've, missed all the, you've missed five years of growing during the time she grows the most in her life. And it's like, and just like the look of shock on his face as he sees her. 
and really the look of shock on her face when he walks up to her, you know, it, it, I'm forgetting on the names right now, but I know they recast her for the for Ant-Man and the Lost Quantumania, and I never really heard why. And given my preference, I would have rather they didn't. I, I'm like, she was perfectly fine in this role. I mean, it was a real small part, but still, regardless, it was a really touching moment in the movie. And just, I mean, a family reunited after all these families have been torn apart. Like, so much of this movie is about family that's torn apart. And... Yeah, at least there was that little, little brief glimpse of a uh, of happiness there that you got in this movie. Yeah, without a doubt. Um, and that's afterwards. Scott shows up at the Avengers uh, compound, explaining what happened there, saying that possibly, possibly, if you're able to nav- navigate the quantum realm, you theoretically could go back through time. Um, which people think that's a bananas idea, but we need to talk to the smartest people in the world. Um, so we reintroduced to Tony Stark, who not unlike Scott Lang has, he's now married to Pepper and have their own daughter. And I, I is the most adorable thing in the world. When Tony goes up to her tent and he goes knocking on her to go get her for lunch. And all of a sudden she crawls out wearing an Iron Man helmet right mm-hmm. there. I'm like, that's just adorable right there. Um, and then we, find out that he that Tony made that specific armor for Pepper but she never wears it um that's when the Avengers show up saying hey um do you wanna time travel with us can you help us can you do something for us and Tony has a legitimate concern there because he's like I can't just turn back time I'm not gonna give up what I've created in the past five years and I think it'd be selfish for make everybody else in the past five years who've moved on to expect the same thing if that's what you want to do with the time stones to turn back time. But it is nice to see at least the beginnings of the rekinship between Tony and Steve. It's nice to see them on screen together again when they're not arguing with each other because we really haven't seen that since early in Civil War. The last time they had a civil, no pun intended, conversation. But um, <laughs> yeah, you're right. Every pun's intended with the two of us. Um, I love that they called his daughter Morgan because that at the beginning of Infinity War, he had this dream that Pepper was pregnant and that they named the child Morgan. And so I love that's what they went with. Um, it is so weird to see Tony as the family man. And yeah. His character has had such growth over his time in the MCU from 2008 all the way up to 2019 in this case. Such growth. And you get it. He's like, I can't risk it. And what 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 father is going to want to risk his daughter here? And he's like, if they go back in time, we change the present day, my kid is now gone. And they comment on having a second chance while he's holding Morgan. And he just says, I've got my second chance right here. And I really, I really like this scene a lot because it's just not what you expect. You expect the call to action, the call to arms, you know, Avengers assemble, if you will. And he says, no, I'm not going to help you. Yeah. I mean, in true hero's journey fashion, there's always the refusal of the call by the hero. And that's what happens here. That afterwards, this is when the Avengers speak to Spart Hulk who looks like he's hanging out at a diner somewhere 
in Nassau County, Long Island, or just in Secaucus, New Jersey somewhere. And he's just uh, the legit, the biggest dork you've ever met, uh, talking to the kids who want to take a picture with him. It's like, it's like, Dap, listen to your mother. And I'm like, <laughs> yeah. oh my God, this is so, this is <laughs> dorky and adorable at the same time. But, <laughs> and so they try to, figure out time travel at the same time Tony's trying to figure out time travel which I do have to flag in the play here Tony's able to figure out figure out the mechanics of time travel but can't replicate pin particles when did he say he couldn't replicate them yeah but like don't they that was the whole conceit of the one trip uh um, when they eventually go back in time. Okay, okay, I'll, I'll I'll grant you that, and I will, I will just say, I mean, technically, that's a different. It's a, it, I mean, pseudoscience. It's all pseudoscience, but it's not. The pin particles are mainly to shrink you down. They're shrinking mm-hmm. you down small enough to get to the quantum realm to where you can access it. It's to me. It's just a different type of science. A different and while we, I don't know if we really see it. In this, in the MCU, at least in the comics, like Hank Pym, he may not be Tony Stark smart, but he's right up there close to him. And so you you can see like his expertise being just somewhere different. Uh, I mean, maybe Tony could have figured out a way to to replicate it. Maybe he could have reverse engineered it, or maybe it's a case of if I reverse engineer it and it doesn't work, well now I've lost a dose. I've lost some. I mean, I they could have taken some time to explain that. Uh, I don't know. I didn't need it, but I get what you're saying. Yeah, I mean, if they had Reed Richards in this universe, he would have figured it out. He's arguably the smartest person in the Marvel universe. Reed Richards would have figured it out without the help of either of the others, and he would have already yeah. probably done it. He would he just him <laughs> and the Fantastic Four would have gone off and taken care of things. That's true. Um, but Hulk tries to uh, time travel. Uh, tries to figure out time travel with uh, Scott Lang being the guinea pig. Two mixed results here. And the fact that, like, he becomes an old man, he becomes a baby, and and I have no idea why. It's just Chris Evans reading the line, it's a baby. <laughs> it's, it's just deadpan. He'll grow. He'll grow. It's a baby. <laughs> Somebody peed in my suit. I don't know if it was baby me or old me or me or me. Me me. <laughs> And that's when Tony shows up. So, he turned into a baby, didn't he? You pushed <laughs> yes. him. You pushed time through him rather than him going through time. And it is nice to see Tony and Steve finally reconciled by Tony, who have repainted the shield at this point and gives it back to Cap. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is the true, full-on reconciliation. You trust me. Here you go, like, and you can see the hesitation in Steve's eyes. Um, side note: they they pushed the time through through Scott and showed Scott could age up, he could age down, whatever. Right? If Chris Evans ever comes back, I gotta wonder if that's how they'll do it. If they'll have him age back down, have Captain America age back down by a similar but more controlled method. It's quite possible they really wanted to do that. I mean, it's fun uh, to theorize because you never know. I mean, if, if everyone's theories always come true, as we've learned recently. So just just to get it out there. I've, that's not mine. I've heard that one, but I wanted to say it. wanted to get it out there. 
Oh, I thought Mephisto was going to de-age him. That's what was going to happen. I actually think Mephisto doesn't show up until a movie later. Ah. You know, he, he's, he's really like five different characters at once. <laughs> including a fly on the wall. <laughs> Nobody suspects the fly on the wall, said Mephisto. <laughs> um, but now they realize, okay... We're going to need to find where the Infinity Stones are. So we need the people who've encountered all of them. That means getting the band back together. So as it were, um, resulting in Scott Lang and Bruce Banner going to New Asgard to collect uh, Thor. Not Scott, Rocket. Oh, Rocket. Wow. Because Scott was... With Hulk, uh, when Hulk gave him uh, the tacos and yes. everything, yes, um, I'm surprised. Like there was not a partnership between Marvel and Taco Bell for 2019. You could have just screen capped that image, just put that inside of Taco Bell's right there. Like, yeah, that that causes me to uh, uh, get tacos. Um, and speaking of screen caps, I want somebody to take a screen cap of Hulk and Rocket sitting in the back of the pickup truck that's barely holding itself together and just make that as like an indie um, indie rock album cover right yes. there because I can imagine yes. that. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, so when, before they see Thor, we find out that Thor is drinking himself, uh, drinking a lot, and he's kind of secluded to say the least. Um, so when Hulk and Rocket go to see Thor... Thor is a little worse of wear. Yeah, he looks like melted ice cream, is how Rocket put it. <laughs> yes, the peak of human perfection that is Crim Townsworth has donned a fat suit for this movie because he has let himself go because he still has blamed himself for the events of Infinity War and he's sunk into his depression and has manifested in just consuming as much food and alcohol that he can and and it becomes clear in this like it, it's played for laughs at first you know you've got like korg talking about like hey feel free to hop on the wi-fi there's no password and then he's complaining to thor that new master 69 is messing with him and uh, but then the, like the seriousness of this comes out and thor is basically suffering from ptsd over his his perceived failures, his real failures, however you want to put it, to stop Thanos. Because as soon as they mention Thanos' name, he starts to break down. And he's like, why am I afraid of him? I killed that guy. You know, and it's like, you did, but you were not over what happened. And nor should he be, arguably. I mean, I'm not saying he should be, but, um, I mean, he is definitely just full-on gone into drinking, you know, Valkyrie's running the place. He's using Stormbreaker to, to open his beer, his beer bottles. And it, but it, I, I think people, I don't know what it is. People really, really don't like Fat Thor. And I'm not sure why. It's just, it, it's an arc. It's a character's story arc. And he's gone through it. And we don't know where he's going to end up when we next see him in Love and Thunder is he going to still be Fat Thor? Is he going to be in better shape? My prediction is we'll actually get both. I think there will be a time jump and he'll be back in more traditional Thor shape. But to me, I liked it. He's still the same character. He's just lost and he needs to find his way back. And by the end of the movie, he does find his way back. I I think it's a great story arc. So do I. I mean, one, like I hope 
there's a scene in Guardians 3 when Quill's trying to say, like, I'm still the captain of the ship, and somebody says, like, who are you kidding, Quill? The, you're, you're the co-captain, the, the only person who can bench press the ship. Um, and yeah, as somebody who... <laughs> as somebody who used to be very heavy, and somebody who still um, eats their emotions away... Yeah, I totally get where Thor's coming from here. Mm-hmm. And I totally understand his his characterization in here. I do feel like it's played a little too much for laughs in the movie. Later on, I, I feel like they don't t- they don't take it as seriously as it could be. But I like the, at least the writing of it so far that, yeah, no, he's slipped into this depression here and that's where he's at right now. Um, also... My favorite memes after this movie came out was like, who's new Master 69? It's just Loki with a headset on. That's the one who's been messing with him the entire time. Well, I like the new one. It's Agatha all along. (laughs) 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 Oh, man. Uh, I saw an Agatha Harkness like, meme is like I, i'm surprised i didn't share it with you but it's like and i sunk the titanic too <laughs> <laughs> and i'm like oh that's 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 perfect right there uh, Agatha uh, memes i love them <laughs> um but thor doesn't want to get involved whatsoever but that rocket says hey there's beer on board which is the magic word for him magic phrase i should say and then this is when we cut to japan where Ronan is literally running amok and killing off Yakuza members in an impressive one or here until uh, Black Widow shows up to save him because, yeah, he's in a real dark place here and he doesn't, like, I, I'm under the impression that he's, he wants to die and if he dies doing this, he'll feel some sort of fulfillment. At least he'll be with his family. But, He's just too good at what he does. That's why he has not died yet. I, I would take it the same way. He he wants to die, but he's not willing to allow it to happen. He will still do everything he can to take out as many of these uh, perceived bad guys as you will. And yeah, you mentioned it was a one-shot, or it's at least filmed and edited to be a one-shot. I don't actually... Yeah. I think that's what they did. I don't think it's a true one-shot. Regardless, I am a sucker for a one-shot. I, I love one-shot fight scenes like this and so it's really cool it does kind of feel like a different movie almost you know it's a Mm. totally different location it's we knew it was clint or at least you did if you paid attention to any of the marketing but it's it's new costume he looks like a different character he's way more vicious than we had seen him before this scene actually feels like a different movie to me but that's not a bad thing so overall i just i I really, really like this scene. It, it's the, the one-shot aspect of it. I would love to get another one, another one-shot in the Hawkeye uh, Disney Plus show. I think they would be remiss not to do that in the Hawkeye show, especially showing the precedent here. Um, and Black Widow convinces him to come back to the Avengers uh, uh, compound, saying, hey, we may have a chance to revert time and bring your family back. And he's like, no. Don't do this to me. Don't give me hope. Um, but she, that Black Widow's like, nope, I'm taking you back with me. So he finally agrees. And now they have to figure out if this can actually really work. So this brings up one of the probably the most controversial takes of this movie is 
the theory of time travel this movie presents that you can't really change the future. You just have to make a new timeline. They're like, if you go back into time and change something, it wouldn't affect this current present. You just, you'd make a new time strand. Yeah, you've split it off or it's forked it off, which is why I think this is, it's not the multiverse in the way most people think about it, but to me, uh, the multiverse of different universes or alternate timelines are like siblings, like two sides of the same coin, very similar ideas, and in this case it is. So if they go back in time, their whole goal is to go back in time and get the stones. If we go back in time, we get the stones, we come back to our present because us taking the stone does not change anything that happened from whatever moment we took the stone to the present. And to me, it makes sense. I, I enjoy time travel movies. I don't, I don't let myself get wrapped up in the time paradoxes of it all. Because I think if you do, the second you go down that rabbit hole, you've ruined the movie for yourself. And it's just like, call it a personal policy, if you will. But if time travel's involved, I want to hear the rules of whatever the movie or the show or the comic, whatever I'm reading. I want to hear what those rules are. And then I'm good to go from there. That's all I need. And so I know some people disagree. Some people let themselves trying to figure out every single hypothetical scenario. I'm willing to take time travel rules of face value in whatever story it is I'm consuming. Right. Because I think even Robert Zemeckis, the director of the Back to the Future trilogy, is saying like, yeah, time travel is closer to magic than it is science fiction. Just the idea of it. And you need to establish the rules in order to either break them or just show what's going to be going on. Where like, whether it's like, Terminator or Back to the Future, you change something in the past, it will affect the future, um, either very suddenly or like like some time catches up to it. Um, but this one's like, oh no, we'll be creating a new time strand, like we'll be creating a new timeline entirely, which I know a lot of people had issues with, and they felt like even still, even by the movie's own rules, it doesn't make sense where they break their own rules. Mm, explain those times when we get to them, when they break the rules, or if you want to give me one now. But uh, like, I, I just feel like, oh, like going back and like, I feel some people had issue like going back in time and snatching the stones away. Like, wait, what about those timelines? Those timelines no longer have those stones now. And but the movie does answer it by having Cap go back to replace them. So. The moment those stones disappear, he shows up and drops them in place, and those timelines continue to right. be the ending that we have in this movie. There's also a moral question there. Do they have a right to go to these other timelines and pull the stones from these other timelines? I mean, that's the fundamental question that the Ancient One has with the Hulk. How can she risk what is her timeline so he can take the stone? And I, I think there is a moral. Does the movie really dive into it? No, they don't. Outside of the ancient ones' discussion there, but I think there is a moral question to be had there. But you're right. The the, the movie does answer the question of do the stones get put back? Because they tell us Captain America put them back. They don't show us. They do tell us. So I guess if you want to question whether or not Captain America was able to achieve it. 
I I think most of the stone there's only one stone to me that really calls into question of how he did it. And to me that's the soul stone. How did he put the soul stone back? What happened when he put the soul stone back? But Maybe someday we'll find out. Uh, maybe we won't. I, I don't need it, but I would be very interested in it. Just, I mean, could you imagine a six-part Disney Plus show of just Chris Evans putting back all the stones? Each episode is one stone. That would be awesome. I, I, I feel like you'd be foolish not to do that um, because I don't think it. I don't think it would be negating the impact of his ending that we have in this movie. Um, but then again, like some stories, you don't need to see them and everything, but that's personal preference. Um, so the Avengers figure out, okay, three of the stones are actually on earth in New York in 2012, the time minus space stones. Um, then you had the ether that's in, that's on Asgard, mm-hmm. um, uh shoot soul stones on uh vormir and power stones on morag yes okay correct you got it yeah i was wondering like do i have all these right and that's how we launch into the second act of the movie because it becomes a time heist as uh scott lang put it much to the chagrin of tony stark he's just like really time heist this is that's how we're gonna label this um so what do you think about the revisiting of all these timelines from a different point of view? I mean, who would have ever thought that we would have gotten to see that iconic moment again in 2012's Avengers of the team circling up and the shot with the camera going around them? We saw that again. Somehow we saw that shot again, which is such an incredible scene in the first Avengers movie. And they found a way to incorporate it. And I love that they did that. I, I love it. It's, it's a little bit like playing the hits, like going through the clip. I mean, you, it's like their version of a clip show and it's just a fun way to like revisit it. And I think they did it in a way that for most of the audience who just saw some, or maybe most of the movies, it, it was fine. But at the same time, if you like knew the movies inside and out, it was just something extra special for you to get to go revisit all these different scenes, revisit these scenes from different points of views, like seeing the Avengers all facing down Loki at the very end and then find out what happens afterwards. Seeing the scene after Loki was defeated, what happens afterwards? Seeing Thor say, oh, we're going to go get a bite to eat, you know, because, you know, in the credit scene, they went and got shawarma and or seeing seeing star lord dancing but what it would have looked like to someone watching him dancing because they don't hear the music he's got playing on his headphones the way we did when we were watching guardians of the galaxy i i really enjoy this act i mean no like i'm assuming most people the third act is obviously my favorite act of the movie but i i if i'm watching this movie it's not like i'm skipping this part of it or anything i really enjoy these scenes right like in the moment i first saw in theater i was elated to see all these scenes we played out from a, from a different perspective. Now, upon reflection and repeat viewings, I ha- I'm a little torn about it because it does feel just like it's just a clip show. Not, not just a clip show. That, let me rephrase that. Because I love when Thor and his mother had that scene on Asgard. Mm-hmm. Like that might be like one of my favorite scenes of the entire movie, um, mostly because 
I never got a chance to say goodbye to my mother before she passed and everything. And so I got to live vicariously through that scene there. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it, it does, I absolutely reconfigure myself that this movie is not functioning as just a movie onto itself. It, like I said before, it is the concluding chapter of 11 years of history. So it's got to function a little differently. Hence why the whole second act is, does feel like a greatest hits album. And, I think it's why I don't think I've watched this as compared to Infinity War. I think I've watched Infinity War more than I've watched Endgame because Infinity War is its own movie, has its own beginning, middle, end, where Endgame doesn't really work unless you really, uh, I didn't say it doesn't work, but it's much more rewarding having seen those previous movies that we see here from a different point of view. Absolutely. this I, I've heard that said as a criticism of this movie before. But to me, that falls flat because this movie was never designed to... This movie was not designed for the person who has never seen a Marvel movie. Do I believe there are people who went and saw it who had never seen one? Yeah, I do. For the amount of money it made, yes. I, I, I believe that people saw this movie and it was their first MCU movie. And I would be curious to know what someone like that thought of the movie... I don't know anyone personally who saw this movie and had never seen one, but this movie was not designed for the new person. Like there's a saying in comics, every issue is somebody's is somebody's first issue. And I think there's some Mm -hmm. truth to that. Every Marvel movie is somebody's first Marvel movie. Just like there's people who just watch WandaVision and they've never seen any of the rest of it. Hey, congrats. You're a Marvel fan now. Welcome to the club. But I think it's okay to treat the bulk of your audience. Like they've been there the bulk of the time. Because that's mm. the reality. The bulk of the audience has been there. Maybe they didn't all catch it in every in every single theater. You know, clearly they didn't because they don't all have the exact same box office. Uh, Ant Man and the Wasp, you know, making uh, a little over a third of what the first Avengers movie made. Right? It's like it didn't. It's not like everybody went to saw that movie, but they also could have gone and caught it on Netflix. Could have caught it on iTunes rentals. Could have red boxed it or bought the Blu-rays or caught it in the cheap bins or whatever at the grocery store. It's like people catch up with the movies at home. So I do believe that most people had seen most of the movies, maybe not Mm. all of them, but at least most of them. And honestly, there's a few movies. If you didn't see, it's okay. It's really okay. Now this movie does kind of bring some stuff back up. Age of Ultron, Thor, the dark world movies that people like to say are skippable. Well, they're a little more important to this now. Does it give you what you need? Yeah, it does. But to me, I I think some movies should be should happen that way. Infinity War, you, you described it as having a beginning, middle, and end. Yeah, absolutely. Especially because it's Thanos' story. That is Thanos' story. It's his first real movie. And I think that makes a lot of sense to do it that way. And you just know, like for this first big crossover, there's going to be people there who don't know who all the players are. Not everybody saw Dr. Strange. So let's introduce Dr. Strange real quick. Not everybody saw the guardians. So let's introduce the guardians and let's introduce all the major players a little bit. And then we get to end game and you just got to assume. Yeah. I don't, I think it'd been, I think it would have been to their detriment to write this movie, to create this movie as though they had to explain everything to a first timer. I, I really think that would have hurt the movie if that was the case. And I think history so far has shown that they didn't need to do that. Right, because it could end up like 
whenever you watch, say, a vampire movie, you as the audience members know, like, oh, you know what the rules of a vampire are. Most of them don't really change from movie to movie. But you do have to watch the movie and the characters have to discover, oh, what the rules of a vampire are. And the audience is already ahead of the characters within the movie. And that can be kind of laborious for a viewer. And that could have happened here if they were very meticulous in writing as if nobody saw this, never saw the, any of these movies before. Um, I, I, I know, I guess another big, my, one of my criticism of this, this session here is because I think some of the humor does not land for me. Some of it, is, I think, is hilarious. Um, like seeing current Hulk see Savage Hulk for and how he's... That one poor Chitauri is like, not just killed, but pummeled into dust. And everybody's looking at him like, wow, Jesus, Bruce, what's wrong with you? And he's like, I'm sorry. And how he has to pretend to be the old Hulk when he's like, Rah, ooh, ah, let me... Let me rip my shirt. Ah, mm-hmm. and like that's funny. Like America's ass. Eh. I, I I think America's ass is hilarious. I do. I <laughs> that line. Part of it's is why it's funny is because who it comes from. Like it, America's ass when Scott says it is funny. America's ass when Steve says it is hysterical. And yes. so, it, but without the, without Scott saying it. Steve's just wouldn't make sense. And so it right. was the, Steve Scott's was told like it was a joke, but it was really the setup. Steve got the punchline there. Yeah. Um, and like, I've made the joke to you previously when, uh, but before we get to the punchline of that joke, uh, Steve, um, gets into an elevator with the members of shield. And it's a replication of the elevator fight. Uh, that we saw in Winter Soldier, but it goes a little differently. And it references to a comic book moment that happened a few years prior that caused everybody to get in an uproar when Captain America had whispered, Hail Hydra. Yeah, I really like that they did that. You know, at first I'm like, oh, we're going to see a new elevator fight scene. The last one's an iconic moment of the MCU. And from a tactical standpoint, what he did here makes far more sense. He drew way less attention to himself and he achieved his objective without even throwing a punch. Great. Good job. But just, I, I, I love it because I remember the freak out when I think it was Nick Spencer writing that run of Captain America when he says, hail Hydra and it just the freak out that happened over that. And I fell off the book because it just kind of lost me. But it was fine. The story was fine. It they explained it away in the comics and stuff, and it, you know there's a reason for it. So I I don't know that when they did this in the movie that they were kind of poking fun at that. But I like to I like to hope and I like to think that they were. I hope that that was the case. But before Steve can meet up with the remaining members of the Avengers after he's collected his stone, um. We get. The, I made this joke to you the other day, where he runs into the previous version of himself, and how we can tell him apart because current Steve is not wearing his helmet, and old Steve is wearing the Captain America suit from the first the first Avengers movie. And like I said, when you and your brother are playing a fighting game, but both choose the same characters, uh-huh, and one's yep. got to be a little different from the other. <laughs> and when he has a moment where. Old Cap has current Cap in a headlock, and he's gonna probably—he's got him a sleeper hold. He's gonna knock him out. 
And how does he get out of it? He tells him that Bucky's alive, which can which frazzles old Cap, giving uh, current Cap the upper hand to knock him the f out, and it works here. And I know people have consternations uh, or just issues with like it, like oh, you're just copying this moment from another comic book movie. Yeah. Well, the difference is it works here because there's setup for it. There's buildup for it. There's a re- he again to use the same word. He's tactical about it. He knew exactly what what he was doing when he said Bucky is alive. He knew the effect that would have on the 2012 version of Captain America, and it, he 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 didn't just say it out of some weird coincidence. It was a purposeful move. It was part of the fight. That's why it works here and. Don't want to don't want to go past this battle without mentioning the I the I can do this all day gag and he's just like I know I know just kind of poking <laughs> a little fun at himself I love that so much I mean I I'm a sucker for some of those Captain America memes motifs whatever you want to call them on your left I can do this all day I'm with you to the end of the line I love that stuff and so the way they used it here. Absolutely, absolutely incredible to me. Just hysterical. Love that moment. Yeah, like he has his Martha moment. Why did you say that name? Um, and then you get, one could argue like, yeah, well, we care about these characters and where their history was up until this point. Yeah, one um, could argue that. Uh, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to leave the pin in that grenade. That's not <laughs> what I'm willing to pin. Not tonight. Not. I'm not going to... Because when I pull that, I'm going to have to deal with the the blowback later on. But while this is going on, um, uh, Current Hulk or Smart Hulk uh, goes to see the Ancient One to get the Time Stone. And it is cool to see the Ancient One was in on the action ever so briefly from the Sanctum Sanctorium. And uh, is, doesn't want any of Bruce's bullshit. And... Pushes him into a, an actual projection there. He's like, all right, now we can have a civilized conversation. And it's a nice callback to the first Doctor Strange because the Ancient One doesn't, she can't see behind, past her ending. Mm-hmm. And which is, that's my, probably my favorite scene in that entire movie is her last moments with Strange. It's a good one. It's a really good one. I actually watched that movie within the last couple of weeks and it's still, it's such a good moment. And so she doesn't know what's going on. And when Banner tells her, like, yeah, that Strange gave up the stone to Thanos. And that's what convinces her. Like, if he did this, he must have had a good reason for it. And gives it to, trepidatiously, gives it to Banner. Say, don't screw this up. Yeah, and this is where, this is where, you know, what we talked about earlier comes into play where, the ancient one is saying, like, if you take the stone, that affects my timeline. And we get the nice visual representation of the timeline that she shoots across the screen. The f- stone's floating around it. And when she picks one off, that branches off the timeline. Hulk puts it back in. And that's showing us what later Steve is going to do. Hulk was doing in the diorama version, if you will, what Steve will do at the end of the movie. Right. But all that is on basically conceit that they succeed. She is trusting that they're going to succeed, of course. Yeah, absolutely. Which, I mean, she can see the future to a point, but like you said, she doesn't see that far. So she is 
basing quite a bit on faith here. Quite, I mean, yeah. Do you want to have a discussion about is she risking too much on faith because she's risking her entire universe? Maybe. I mean, maybe she is. I don't know. Yeah, but I think that like those kind of threats and probabilities is something that the ancient ones probably dealt with on a daily basis once she became the uh, master of secret arts like that. Um, but I love that when the rest of the people are trying to steal the Tesseract from Lo- uh, from uh, Loki, he, well, I would say from S.H.I.E.L.D., I do have to raise one figure in question there. So this is Robert Redford's last performance. He retired from acting after doing this movie. Could he not be bothered to get into hair and makeup to do his hair? Like, he looks like he just rolled out of bed. Look at his hair's all kind of scruffy and everything. Like, that does not look like how you look like in Winter Soldier. You look like it... He looks very frazzled here. It's something I know. It's very to be minor. fair. He just went through an alien invasion of New York. That he was not behind. Hydra was not behind that. To be fair, maybe he's a little frazzled from. Hey, we just survived an alien invasion, and when you see him two years later in the timeline in Winter Soldier, he's had time to get a haircut and put a comb through it. True. Maybe this I, I don't know. I'm reaching. I realize that I just. I've never once thought of that. I've never heard somebody mention that before. So, hey, that's a new one. <laughs> it, it, I know it's eight over a tenth of my behalf right there just to zero in on that. But it's, something that, it's very glaring to me that I can't unsee it. Um, I mean, the closest thing to an alien invasion we've had so far, I mean, yeah. Like, you had the destroyer destroy a town in uh, New Mexico. Where and he the wasn't get- <laughs> he, Yeah. in New York during this. He wasn't in New Mexico for that. Right. And the events of Captain Marvel, which didn't really have two, um, it had repercussions on Earth, but most of it like was take, took place in space. Mm-hmm. Um, which, uh, speaking of the Destroyer, side tangent, there is a statue of that Destroyer in my local comic book store, and I'm like, you're in one movie, but you look badass right now, and I'm like, like if I'm wealthy enough, I will drop the $250 for that statue, because it Dang, just looks really cool. Price? I think that's what it was, or that might have wow. been. They might have been Captain America that was next to him at that, that price. I can't remember, but it like it's highly detailed. It is very cool looking. Um, yeah, but off Earth on Asgard, uh, Thor and Rocket are trying to get the ether away from uh, Natalie Portman's stock footage. <laughs> uh, yes, quite literally. <laughs> Where Thor runs into his mother, and they have such a tender moment there. Where uh, Thor's mother—I always forget her, her character's name. I feel terrible. Freja. Freja. Thank you. Yeah. That she knows this is her last day, and she accepts it. Accepts it, and she knows she's going to spend time with her son. That's very broken at this point right here, and assures him that bad things happen, but you still can persevere and everything and i just feel like it's a really tender moment in this mo in this scene it, it is i like rocket trying to give him the tough love you know you've lost people they're gone i've lost people they're only kind of gone we have a chance to get them back buck up and let's do this and that moment with thor and his mom like when they're leaving like rocket he comes running and he's managed to extract the ether 
they, there's a story for you. When Steve put the ether back into Jane, um, that's <laughs> never thought of it that way before. But as they come, oh. as they come running and they leave, I really like this moment where Thor stands there and he just sticks his hand out and waits. And his mom's like, hang on, it takes a minute. And then <laughs> the hammer shows up and it, really it's an important message for people who are depressed for people who are not their best selves for people suffering from PTSD. Like he is, you're still worthy. You're still a person. You're still good, you know? And I think it's a good message that comes across there. And just the look of delight on his face. It's like, after everything he's been through, he's still worthy. And what a great moment. Yeah. That he's still, and he's like, even like in his, like his worst shape physically and emotionally and even mentally, that he's still worthy to rule Asgard there. Something that's very important to him. Um, yeah. Like, so I, now you, God damn Brent. Now I'm just imagining, I'm imagining how does <laughs> Cap get the ether back in Natalie Portman? I imagine what ways could happen. It must've been a tough uh, proposition to find himself in. Um, so moving on, uh, Morag, that's where, uh, what was it? We have War Machine and Nebula. Nebula go to get the Power Stone from Peter Quill, who's. I imagine this is what I would look like if people walk in on me when I have my headphones in, because I will dance, I will sing when no one else is around. So uh, this is like this is kind of mortifying to me to see the scene when they uh, see Peter serenading himself and whatever creatures there in the temple. But I do laugh pretty hard just the one clank in the back of the, the him in the mm-hmm. face and they just grab the power stone and walk away <laughs> so he's an idiot right yep <laughs> and just nebula <laughs> showing her lack of respect for star lord <laughs> and my sister falls for this guy oh man it, it is pretty funny but also in 2014 this is when we get the reintroduction to thanos and his entire group including Gamora, including Nebula, and, and all the children of Thanos at the same time. So this is the reintroduction of the villain of the piece, which I will get into my issues a little bit later on, but it is a clever way to bring him back. Yeah, it for me, it just... It, it's not the same Thanos that we saw at the end of 2018, which later it gets acknowledged, but it is still the same overall characters just from an earlier point in his timeline. This is a Thanos who has not already achieved getting all the stones the hard way. And he sees a shortcut and he tries to take it and he pays for it. Right. Uh, Okay. Yes. He is the, still the character of Thanos, but it's not the Thanos, not the one who's technically responsible for the events of infinity war. Correct. Correct. And I think that's why it's emotionally hollow, the final battle in Endgame. Because, sure, he's still a threat. He's still going to do the bad things he's going to do. He's going to do it in worse. He's going to wipe out all of existence now. But it's not the Thanos that's responsible for the events that started the story here. It's not. They already got their revenge, if you will, on him. And that one didn't achieve anything, as the, as we learned. like get, They got to take out that Thanos. But this is... This is somebody who it's a younger version of the worst person they've ever met. And so while he doesn't, 
hasn't done, he is not the one who directly hurt all of them five years ago. It is a version of him that did, and he wants to do, as you just mentioned, even worse. So I, I don't know. I don't buy into the emotionally hollow thing. I don't, I don't even know if all, that's where all the emotions of it, of that scene just are just being Thanos himself, other than he's somebody with an army that can go toe to toe with the Avengers army. Right. And we see that he's still the ruthless individual that we saw him in Infinity War. And, but like you said, he's, his whole army's collected. They're all together. They're not spread across the entire universe at that point. Um, but we also see the older versions of Nebula and Gamora that we saw back in 2014, the first Guardians movie, where Nebula is a fervent defender of her father and highly contentious relationship between her and Gamora. And it's just like, it's not bad right there. It's just kind of like, oh, can we just, like, please not fight. I don't want, I don't like it when you guys fight. That's why I'm not seeing here. And it just kind of sucks that, see the favorite, the very obvious favoritism that Thanos has for Gamora over Nebula. Yeah, I mean, I don't think Thanos is winning any father of the year competitions on this one. Um, I mean, he is a horrible, horrible person. And, even though he truly loved Gamora, I mean, that's evidenced by the fact that he was able to sacrifice her to get the soul stone. It wouldn't have worked if he didn't truly love her. He's still just horrific to her. And as every bit as bad as he is to her, he's way worse to Nebula. I mean, I think back to that scene in infinity war where Thanos is literally tearing her apart just to get to Gamora. I, I do. I kind of have mixed feelings on young Gamora being the one who ultimately survived here. I liked her inclusion, but and I do, it's not that I believe it cheapens the death of Gamora. It doesn't. It's a younger version of the same character. It's not the exact same character. It doesn't cheapen it for me. I just I want that I wanted our Gamora, the original Gamora to be back. And I I really thought she was going to somehow come back as a result of this. I was I was convinced she was going to survive. So I, I would have liked to have seen that. That said, I'm curious to see what they're going to do with this younger version going forward. I, I mean, you know she's going to be in Guardians Volume 3. In what capacity? Like, you know, I imagine Star-Lord trying to, to get back through to her to uh, prove to her that he loves her while she's just ignoring him. Or so it's just curious what they're going to do with it. Um, I, I would really like to just see a conversation with her and the other guardians. I know we got one with her and Nebula, but I mean her and the rest of the guardians and we haven't gotten it yet, but we will eventually. Um, I imagine that Gamora and star star Lord will mind meld through the power of Adam Warlock. And that's how we get old Gamora back in the new body. Plausible. Can't rule it out. No, I mean, Adam Warlock is like one of the the dangling threads in the Marvel universe has never been has not been paid off yet. That's made people mad. Like, oh, we're gonna get him. It's either him or um, uh, was it Nova? Nova, yeah, yeah. They're actually both in a waiting room with Mephisto now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the Defenders. 
Well, yeah, because we've never seen any of them in the MCU before. Yes. Well, during one of those other, you know, like those uh, threads that we saw that the the ancient one pulled up, they're on a different mm-hmm. one, different one of those. Yes, they are very much so. Yep. <laughs> Which uh, I love. There was a meme <clears throat> when Endgame came out when there's like Dory, there's the defenders in the elevator, like and. Uh, Matt Murdock's like, don't worry, they can open a portal for us to join the battle. Any minute now. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Any moment. But when uh, Rhodey and Nebula are able to get the Power Stone, they're about to zap their way back. But there is a interruption because both Nebulas are now connected. They are they are on the same frequency, resulting in Thanos collecting current nebula and hatching a plan finding out what happened um to his older self and figure out a way to get to the current time the current uh i guess i was gonna say the current present that's a terrible way to phrase it to the present and able to get a chance at the stones a lot quicker yeah just him trying to take a shortcut you know he when when they capture um present nebula when they captured 2023 nebula she had some of the pin particles with her and thanos was able to use those to open up the gateway to pull his army through um so could he have taken the army back to his 2014 timeline no i don't think so but he could use it use the one shot at it to get him back well on the commentary track the filmmakers said like earbone thought probably Figured out a way to reverse engineer the pin particles. The thing that Tony Stark couldn't do earlier. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but, it, again, I guess to my one, my headcanon there, Thanos wouldn't have had any worry of if something happens to these. You know, it's like he never had them before. If it doesn't happen, he just continues on as was his plan. If Tony had ruined them, then maybe their plan's completely shot from the start. Specu- yeah. Speculation. Um. But then we get to Vormir, and it's it's Natasha and Clint going up there, and they see the Red Skull, um, which, as members of S.H.I.E.L.D., I'm surprised they don't recognize him, that they probably should have recognized, like, who Red Skull was and, like, Cap's history, but he's a floating uh, red thing, and there's so many other strange things in the universe, so he could be anybody, for all they know. Sure, I mean, why would they think it's this guy from the 40s who they thought was dead, you know, on a totally different planet that they have time-traveled back to? You know, it's like that thing where you, you see you see somebody you work with, you don't work with them all the time, but you know them at work, but then if you see them at the grocery store, it's a different context, so you're not ready for it, you don't recognize them at first. Maybe it's just an extreme version of that. That's totally fair, and... The Red Skull gives him the same spiel that he gave to Thanos and Gamora, that a soul for a soul, and resulting in the two of them trying to kill each other, kill themselves to save the other. And I, I know this may sound harsh, but I think the right person sacrificed themselves for this moment here. Yes, <laughs> yes, absolutely. And all these people, oh, I hate Clint. Clint sucks. It should have been him. No, the fact that you hate him is why it should not have been him. Because most people 
do prefer the character of Natasha more. Her death means more. Her death, it's, it's it's nothing to do with, oh, he had a family, so he got to live, or some bull crap like that that people like to claim. No, at this moment, he didn't have a family. Sure, they were trying to save him, but no, it's as simple as who do you care more about as the audience? Because if the only people who die are the ones you don't care about, that's when, for me, the stakes don't matter. I don't need stakes of like life and death into the universe every single one of these movies. But you have to care about the outcome, be it a small personal story that takes place in like one tiny little town or universal. If you don't care about what happens to the characters, it doesn't matter. And here, yeah, I wanted Natasha to live too. Absolutely. And in fact, going into this movie, we knew the Black Widow movie was happening. I kind of assumed she would live. Yeah, I think it's the right. I think it's the better storytelling choice that she didn't. Right, and there's a reason why you don't cry when red shirts die on Star Trek, but you do when Spock does. Exactly, because you care about the characters and everything. So, like, even though it is comical, where like they Clint did nearly blow her up trying to save her life there with one of his exploding arrows there. But so Natasha dies, um, resulting in a close up, a very teary eyed uh, Clint as a result, which also been memed out like nobody's business. My favorite one being huh, when you step in a puddle with socks on and the face you make it. <laughs> That's about right. Oh, socks <laughs> the worst. Um, resulting in the, now he has a soul stone. And I know I kind of jumped around a little bit here, but. Uh, the gang back in 2012 lost the Tesseract um, thanks to Hulk needing to take the stairs, much to his chagrin. I mean, nobody likes to take the stairs. There's no. a perfectly good elevator right there. They make them take the stairs. Well, they didn't. They, they felt like all of them plus Hulk in the elevator probably would not have been for the best. Take the but, stairs. Hate the stairs. <laughs> which I still laugh at. Just Hulk bitching to himself like, take the stairs! <laughs> And Tony tried to get the Tesseract away, but gets faced, uh, gets a face full of door when Hulk comes b- busting out, um, resulting in Loki taking the Tesseract and disappearing. So that's how the Loki series is going to come about. Yep, that is the Loki. The Loki in the Disney Plus show is not the Loki who died in Infinity War, who Thanos killed. It is a Loki from immediately after the first Avengers movie before Thor, the dark world. So he had this Loki has not experienced the death of his mother. He has not even begun to reconcile with Thor. It's a, at this point, he's still a pure villain. And I mean, do I think he's going to go through the whole Disney plus show as a villain? No, I don't, but that's where he's coming off of. That's where he's starting. And so again, this is uh the MCU, like, kind of moving us in a multiversal direction. My question is, does that Loki series end with Cavs America wrangling him and bringing him back with the Tesseract? You know, I actually don't think it does only because I don't think Captain America really knows about that. I don't think they know where the stone went. He doesn't have any way to track him. He doesn't have any way to find him. So does that, so the 2012 timeline should still be messed up. 
Yeah. He, he, got, he got the other stones back there, but the 2012 timeline should still be messed up, to, at least to some extent. Maybe it does end with Loki going back to his time, but... As of right now, that I think that's the one the one little bit that should still be messed up, or we just assume he does get him at some point. But I I don't think he did. Yeah, so maybe Loki series ends with him going back to twenty twelve and he gets apprehended. Like he knows, like he has to do this because he realized what the world, what the universe is like when all those events don't happen the way they're supposed to. Because otherwise, like it does make the ending of the first Avengers movie kind of moot currently. Um, but when they realize the Tesseract is gone, they decide to go back even further. They go back to the 1970s, um, to grab the Tesseract out of S.H.I.E.L.D.'s, um, archives in New Jersey and grab more pin particles because they're kind of, they're out right now, resulting in more de-aged actors and terrible wig on yes, it is an Hank Pym. I mean, oh, it like and the the DH uh, Michael Douglas here. It's not as good as what they did in the Ant Man movie, but nope. you do get that pretty cool shot of like the original Ant Man prototype helmet. Yes, so that's pretty cool that they included that, and you get some great conversations between Tony Stark and his father Howard. Right, there's a nice little conclusion to their relationship there. Now that Tony's a father, he's able to see things through a different lens. And that's why he, I think because Tony has Morgan, that's how he's able to forgive his father. Um, but also this really starts to see the point between Cap is really starting to miss Peggy. I, I, I mean, he's always done that and he's always felt bad that he never got a chance to have a dance with Peggy Harder and have that had that life with her, but I sent this video to you, I think it's from the YouTube channel, Lessons to the Screenplay, and the different character arcs between Tony Stark and Steve Rogers throughout the entire series, that Captain America Starve is the most selfless character in the entire universe. He's the first one to throw himself on the grenade, and by the end of his journey, he's willing to be a little selfish, selfish by... Getting to, the, getting to the end of the movie, same thing with Tony, that he starts out as the, the most selfish person in the world mm-hmm. and becomes incredibly selfless by the end. Right. And I just find that really beautiful and how it's seated here when Steve looks really long, longingly at Peggy in the 1970s. He's like, I mean, who, as an audience member of these movies, didn't want Captain to end up back with her? I mean... I, I don't know how you couldn't be happy about that. I mean, again, let's let's remind it is a little skeevy with the whole Sharon Carter thing, her aunt or her niece. I mean, in Civil War. So I guess if you're just a really big shipper, if you will, of Steve and Sharon, then you wouldn't like that. But I mean, even here you see it. Like he goes, he he gets a glimpse of her, and it's just putting it right back in his face of what he wants and. If you look, he grabs extra pin particles. You see he grabs extra pin particles. But then you kind of just forget about it by the time the movie progresses through the rest of it. Right. And so everybody makes it back moments later in 2023's time. And everybody's like, hey, we all made it back. We got all the stones, right? And that's when they realize, yeah, that... uh, Natasha wasn't there, which it's kind of a party foul on Nebula 
shouldn't she have warned them because she was aware of what happened to Gamora there on Vormir? You know, I have thought about this and I, I flip flop on it so much. Part of me says yes. The other part of me says, how much does she actually know? All she, all she was shown was effectively Thanos took Gamora there. Thanos came back with the stone and without Gamora. So he, it could be that Nebula thought Thanos killed Gamora, that Gamora attacked him, that they fought, or that Thanos killed him, used him to get to the stone, used her to get to the stone, I mean, and then killed her without knowing that it was a specific trade. I, they never really say that Nebula knows the specifics of how you get the soul stone. She might have. We just, we just don't know the answer to that. That's fair. But I'll answer your explanation with a question, or I'll raise your explanation with a question. Why is Gamora? That is really the question. I mean, <laughs> if you know the answer to that question, you know the answer to everything. Life. You know where <laughs> Mephisto is. I mean. <laughs> I want to know what the dead horse is that we keep beating on with these jokes right now. Um. So the Avengers mourn the loss of uh, Natasha here, but not too long because they have to succeed in their mission here. Um, Rocket makes a joke when they put all the stones together on a gauntlet, and he's like, boom! And I'm like, eh. You know, we, we, we missed the Stanley cameo. we got to mention oh, yes. the Stanley cameo, Make Love Not War, and... Like the bumper sticker, it says "Nuff said," which is one of his taglines, and it's just notable. It's Stan's final cameo before he passed, and because I've been seeing this theory pop up more and more recently, no, Stan Lee was not meant to play old man Steve Rogers. That was never a thing. It's not that they ran out of time to film it; he was done filming. This this was movie was in the can before he passed. Shoot that theory down. It's not it. But I didn't want to get past Stan's final cameo without without mentioning it. Because I like those cameos. I I appreciate them. And it, it is kind of like, oh, just a, you know, a loss of, like, there's just that little twinge of, like, oh, I wish I'd have been there in Spider-Man Far From Home and WandaVision. And I'm sure I'll feel the same way for at least several more MCU projects before I really get used to it's getting through a project start to finish without seeing Stanley. Yeah, I mean, going from a guy who's at a hot dog stand in the first X Men to this moment here, dressed in an outfit like it's one of those iconic photos of Stanley in the 1970s where he's got the the white suit with the big cape on. Like when you think of late 70s Stanley, it's one of the first images that comes to your mind. Um, when Stan Lee became the persona of Stan Lee and not just the publisher of Stan Lee. Um, I'm pretty sure it was at the expense of friendships between him and Jack Kirby and Steve Ditko because I know those two gentlemen had their issues with Stan Lee, like mm-hmm. many others throughout yeah. history. I mean, you could make the same argument between people and their relationships to Bob Kane throughout the years. Sure. Absolutely. Um, which I still have not seen Batman Bill, that Bill Finger documentary. And I'm like, when I had Hulu, I should have checked it out. And I didn't. And I'm kicking myself for that. Well, anyway, maybe someday you'll have Hulu again. Yes. Um, 
So now the Stark gauntlet has been created. And now it's time to kind of draw straws. Who's going to wear it to bring everybody back? And Thor thinks it should be him. He feels like it was his fault, his responsibility to bring everybody back. And everybody has to kind of convince him, it's not your fault. You didn't do this. And it, it, it could have been a touchy moment. We didn't have the cheese was joking. I'm like, it's... There's times where I love the MCU humor, but there are times I'm like, you're cutting out a chance to be sincere and earnest right here. You're cutting out a chance of being real by undercutting it with a joke. And I think it's one of those moments here. This is one of those moments that people often cite for that. And it's important to know, like they just, they didn't think Thor could live. They didn't think he'd survive snapping this gauntlet. I think he would have, but we'll never know for sure. I do agree though with Banner's assessment that Hulk was the best choice. I, I do agree with that because he is more powerful. He's definitely strong. And even in this form, I think he's stronger than Thor is. So I do think that even though he's not the strongest he has ever been, I, I, I mean, to me, it just makes the most sense. No, no, no one else. It's only going to be those two. No one else who's present could survive it. Could Carol survive it? Yeah, probably. She's not there. She's off world right now. Mm-hmm. So, I I mean, I think it made sense that it was Hulk who did it. Right. Um, especially when they, they had an explanation that the majority of the radiation that's emanating from the gauntlet is gamma, which he, like, he'll just, he'll just suck all that in. Sure, it does damage him when he does snap his fingers. Um and I do like the fact that, like, oh, Scott goes out to the little, like, foyer there and sees, like, hey, there's more light. There's more birds in the sky. Mm-hmm. And immediately, Clint's wife calls him. And it's like talking to a ghost. Somebody you thought, somebody who was dead for five years suddenly starts speaking to you again. But prior to the snap, Thanos comes through the time tunnel and blows a giant hole in the ceiling of Avengers Compound. They don't hear it. They were kind of distracted. Like you have to, you have to go with it there. Yeah, I mean they were focused. They were focused in this other area. They had closed like the blast doors or whatever, trying to contain the the blast. Like that was going to stop the power of the snap. Um, yeah, they don't they don't hear it. You just got to roll with it. Yeah, but now that hey, looks everything's fine. But like hey, where's the shadow coming from? All of a sudden. They look up in the sky and they realize, oh, that's Thanos' ship who's raining fire down the Avengers compound. Um, miraculously, everybody lives in this onslaught here. But now they're all separated. And this is where it begins the the long running, uh, as the, the filmmaker said in the commentary track, the flea flicker maneuver of keeping the gauntlet away from Thanos here. Close. They're not quite there, but close close but i do love the tunnels that clint finds himself in where the outriders are chasing him in the tunnels uh hulk roadie and rocket are, are trapped under rubble uh with scott lang and <laughs> this is one joke i do like when uh tony uh 
gets Cap back up and he, he gives him back the shield. Like, he loses again. I'm keeping it. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good one. And Thanos waits. Thanos waits for the three current leaders of the Avengers to come meet him. And because it's a trap. And they know it's a trap, but they don't particularly care. And they go have the, the showdown with Thanos. To kill him properly this time. And part of me thought when Thor calls upon the lightning and he brings both weapons to him, I thought he was going to transform himself into old Hull, uh, old Thor. Yeah, like, a lot of people thought that, but that would have really cheapened his arc, I think, to just magically make the visual representation of it, representation of it go away. Yes, it, it totally does. But it does it totally magically tie his beard up, you know, twist his beard, <laughs> put his beard in like little, I don't even know what you call it for a beard. It's not a ponytail, but ties it up. So I'm like, well, all right. And knots. Yeah, the lightning, I guess, can handle that. <laughs> um, the lightning can do very, a lot of magical things and a lot of people can wield it. We'll find out that's in a moment here when Thanos waits for them and the three, so... Iron Man, Captain America, and Thor surround Thanos to finally take him out. But Thanos is too powerful for them and wipes the floor with all three of them. And at one point you think that Thanos is going to kill Thor by slowly plunging Stormbreaker into his chest when suddenly Mjolnir is picked up by somebody. And tosses the face of Thanos, flies back to the one who's wielding it, revealing that it was Captain America. So, like a minute or two before this, Thor throws his hammer at Thanos, or it's coming back to him, and Thanos picks up Iron Man and uses him to deflect the hammer. And the hammer hits the ground. And at that moment... I swear to you, I knew Captain America was going to pick it up. I also was fully convinced Captain America was a dead man walking. I was like, he's going to pick it up, but he's not going to survive. And I won't lie to you, that's pretty much when the tears just started flowing for me because I thought I was about to watch one of my favorite movie characters of all time die and eat it. And when it happened, I loved seeing him pick up the the hammer. There's a debate in Age of Ultron of whether or not he was able to pick it up and chose not to for Team Dynamics, Team Morale, or he couldn't move the hammer because he wasn't quite worthy yet because he hadn't come clean about Bucky killing Howard and Maria Stark. Whichever side of that debate you're on, as an audience member, we were teased with the idea of Captain America picking up the hammer in Age of Ultron. Here, we saw it, and... As good of a fighter as Thor is, I don't think he's Captain America good when you put them on a level playing field as far as physical powers go. And just watching Captain America wail into Thanos literally does not get old for me. Every time I see a GIF, every time I see a clip on Twitter, I have to watch it. If it's a GIF, I watch it more than once. Every time. Well, there's nothing quite like seeing Evil Gang hit in its stupid face repeatedly is oddly satisfying and you're right Thor is not the most technically proficient of the Avengers fighters when it comes to hand-to-hand encounter he doesn't need to be 
Um, he's not quite the tank as Hulk. He's a little more finesse with that. But since Cap is not as strong, he needs to be have finesse and be fully capable on all four of his appendages like that. So seeing him being the capable warrior he is with Mjolnir in his hand, he becomes quite a, a dangerous adversary. Yeah, and it's not lost on me that Thanos was attempting to kill Thor the same way that Thor attempted to kill Thanos at the end of Infinity War by driving Stormbreaker into his chest. Now, of course, this Thanos had no way of knowing that. Coincidence the way the battle went. But, man, those those videos that we had talked about at the beginning of the crowd reactions, it's always a good one when, when Captain America <laughs> picks up the hammer. Yeah, um, it, that the callback is for the audiences right there, not for the characters. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and I'll never get tired of this. The Mjolnir flies across screen, and then we have the slow turn back to camera with a cap holding it. And it go, going back to what you were saying before with the Mjolnir being knocked away, Dave Fincher says, like, audiences know you can do anything. And you show something at close-up, the audience realizes, oh, you're underlining this and just showing Mjolnir being put on the ground by itself shows that, yeah, that was, if you just had Thanos bat Mjolnir away with Iron Man and we just hear it whiz off into the distance, you probably wouldn't think of it. Like, all right, well, Mjolnir is not being used right now, but consciously showing it land on the ground shows that, oh, this is important here. And I love how accepting Thor was of it. Like, he smiles and says, I knew it. Like, he's not jealous. Like, you, you could imagine Thor from the first or second movie being jealous, his pride being in the way. And you even almost get you get some of that in Age of Ultron, that look on his face when Steve almost moves the hammer and the way he was taunting the rest of it. But at this point, he's grown as a character, and he just smiles because he knows what just happened. And, oh, if you can wield the hammer, you have the power of Thor. And now Captain America is wielding the lightning. And it does give them a chance. Now, obviously, they don't win. I mean, you're still talking about somebody with the fighting prowess that Thanos has who's physically strong enough to go toe-to-toe with the Hulk without using any other weapons, as we saw in the first movie. So, no, he still doesn't win. But what a moment. Just what a moment. And then really really selling me on that oh i'm about to watch him die the again the tears are pretty much just flowing the whole time the rest of the movie i'm perfectly fine to tell you that it's it's so true my, my wife will tell you she's just probably laughing at me the whole time but it's <laughs> they i mean they thanos breaks his shield and knocks captain america down and i'm like he's gonna stab him right there we are about to watch him die and thank goodness that is not what happened Right. Um, I, I do love that moment when we cut to that close-up of Thor just screaming, I knew it! Like, he's elated that moment there, but immediately gets a boot to the face before his elation right there. Like It's like, like oh my god, that's amazing! Bam! Shut up! Um, and yeah, I thought... And even though people say, like, it's vibranium, it's the strongest element in the universe. Like, everything can break. And it's like, and like it's... It takes one small crack and slowly it erodes. And it was just one of those instances that you imagine the blade being built out of maybe the same thing the gauntlet's made out of because of 
Peter Dinklage's character in Infinity War. Idri, thank you. He probably crafted that blade for Thanos, for all we know. And seeing the shield break up, like, like you, I thought, like, well, this is it. Cap's dead. He's going to be, like, if he wanted to be, like, gratuitous, cut in half. Like, not just stab, but, like, one half of Cap goes the other way, one half Cap goes this way. And you're like, oh, wow, we're really defended here. We'd killed, we filleted Captain America. But thankfully, no. And it was one of those moments in the trailer that got everybody so amped up of, like, a close-up of Cap's damaged arm tightened up with the grip of the shield, mm-hmm. which, in the trailers, it was a completed shield. Yeah, not yeah, a broken they, up they, one. There were some changes to the trailers made on purpose there. And then you get that Sam- beautiful shot of him facing down the army. Just Cap on the left, Thanos and his army on the right. And I, I've always said... In the first Captain America movie, when he jumps on the grenade that he thinks is a live grenade, that that was one of the most Captain America pure moments of the entire MCU. Arguably the most pure moment of the entire MCU until this one, where you have Captain America with a half-broken shield and facing down Thanos and his army in a battle that he truly cannot win. He will not win. He will be massacred. But he still stood up because he was still breathing. Exactly. And, like, what was it? A friend of the show, a friend of ours, Jamie Drilly, like, he loves that speech between Cap and Thanos in the Infinity Gauntlet saga. Like, I, I for a second, I thought, like, oh, so this is where it's going to happen. This is when the speech is going to happen. But it doesn't. We hear radio static come in, mm-hmm. and we hear Sam say, hey, Cap, on your left. My favorite three words to the entire MCU. And it really has been since the Winter Soldier. I, I've just, for whatever reason, latched onto those words. On your left. Even more than I, I am Iron Man, which we'll come back in a moment. But this is when, for four days around the world, every moviegoer lost their collective shit for the next, like, three minutes. Where... All the characters that died because of the snap in Infinity War come back and reintroduce via portals. They're all on the same playing field. And seeing Black Panther and everybody in Wakanda come back, great. The Guardians are back. Amazing. We see Spider-Man swing into a close-up. Everybody's erupting. The loudest cheer every time was for Spider-Man. Every time. Because... Everybody loves Spider-Man, and especially how he went out. You're like, oh, yeah. I mean, everybody, including Howard the Duck, if you blink and you miss him, he's in the fight, too. That's right. Howard the Duck. Um, And it's one of my favorite parodies on the internet when Dr. Strange comes out and turns to Wong with all, all the other uh, uh, wizards or magicians, I should say. They Like, Strange asks Wong... Is that everyone? And Wong says, what, you wanted more? Now, in the movie, that's when Hulk comes out, bursts out of the the rubble with Rocket and Rhodey. But somebody made an edit there. And had like, 
all the other characters in the other Marvel movies, like whether it be Wolverine, mm-hmm. uh, Deadpool, and everything, but it eventually becomes like the Ghostbusters, the Ninja Turtles, all the James Bonds, Harry yep. Potter. Superman, yeah, just any character. John Wick, I think, and just any heroic character you could think of. Yeah, any heroic character from the past 50 years, like Clint Eastwood, Laura Croft shows up, and it ends with Chuck Norris. It ends with the Chuck Norris joke. It's kind of, that's like the only part of I'm like, eh, lame there. But. All the Avengers, every single main character that's still alive and who's still able to fight is now on the battlefield right now. Um, and then we finally get what we've been building up for for 11 years, but especially seven years when the Avengers have assembled. And the filmmakers and commentary tracks it like, yeah, we wanted to do something a little different here because Cap screams Avengers, he catches me on there, and he whispers, assemble. But everybody was so amped up when he screamed Avengers that nobody really heard them him say, assemble. Yeah, all those reaction videos, you can't hear it. You you ha- you, you know he says it, but you can't hear it in those videos. Yeah, we finally, they tease us with that at the very end of Age of Ultron when he yells, Avengers, and it cuts off. And finally, we got to hear... He may not have been yelling, but we hear the battle cry, the Avengers battle cry that so many comic fans have been waiting for since 2012. And I tell you, like, I was like emotionally overwhelmed during the portal scene in a way that a movie had never done to me before. And it's like I knew they were all alive. I knew they were coming back. I had also bought into what was happening and I had forgotten that we were already told it worked. We already knew it worked because we already saw the birds like that right there. We saw Clint's wife call his phone. We knew it worked. We, of course they were going to show up. If you're thinking rationally, of course they were going to show up, but I wasn't, I was just watching and I was just fully invested and I can still get that way. And I can still put myself back in that headspace of that first time feeling it. No, it's not the exact same, but it's pretty similar. And there's just so many awesome moments in it, like uh, rescue and Iron Man back to back pepper and Iron Man shooting their lasers from their respective things. Captain America and Thor trading hammers trade. No, you take the little one. Give me the big one or whatever. <laughs> I, I, it's so many awesome moments in this. And yeah, like you talked earlier, like the keep away with, with the gauntlet and the callback to uh, civil war with black Panther and Hawkeye when he's like Clint, he calls him because you know, in civil war, he didn't care who he was. Hey, my name's Clint. We haven't met yet. I don't care. And <laughs> here, Clint, give it to me. And he runs off taking it. And of course, Spider-Man and he had so many, so many awesome moments. Right. I mean, the moment that gets me is uh, Korg is fighting one of the children of Thanos and Drax jumps on his back. He just hear the stabbing into his back from these two mm-hmm. blades. Yep. Or you hear M'Baku have a battle cry when he cracks the skull of one of the Outriders. Um, like it's, it's a splash page come to life in the most glorious way. when you see in those Marvel books, um, and it, it rewards repeat viewing here. And I'm not going to lie. Rewatching it earlier today for this review. I had the dumbest smile on my face from ear to ear when I, I saw them all clash into each other. Sure. Is it just a bunch of zero ones clashing into other zero ones when we break it down to that level? Yeah, but it's a lot of fun. And the the moment where Tony and Peter are reunited and just 
Tony gives him a hug and <laughs> Peter's overwhelmed by this. He's like, oh, wow, this is nice. And they had that little tender moment there. But yeah, then the, the game of keep away of the gauntlet and like I said before, like my one criticism when Wanda comes face to face with Thanos and she says, you took everything from me. And he's like, I don't even know who you are. Which is like, it is unfortunate, and that's why I think it, the emotionally hollow stuff, but like, filmmaker said, like, yeah, Wanda could have killed Thanos here, and Thanos knew it. That's why he decides to rain fire down on everybody, including his own troops. You know, I, I, I can't go with you on the emotional hollowness there, because think of that from Wanda's perspective. She didn't know who he was. She didn't know he was a Thanos from the past. All she knew was... She five minutes ago she watched Thanos after she murdered Vision herself, murdered Harsh. After she killed Vision herself to destroy the Mind Stone, she watched Thanos bring him back. He murders him. Thanos murders Vision. They Thanos snaps. They all die. They come back, and there's Thanos in front of him. She doesn't know. She doesn't realize it's not the same, the same version. So when she says you took everything from me, she. I mean, to her, she was speaking. It's it's for me. It's like when the look on Okoye's face when Black Panther gets snapped in Infinity War. We know he's coming back. We know that Black Panther was coming off of a massively successful movie, and of course, they're going to have a sequel to it. It's the look on Okoye's face, though. It's the characters that's selling it. It's putting yourself in their shoes. That's why I think that 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 moment for Wanda is such a powerful moment. Because yeah, and she is. She totally was going to win. She it, it was over right there, right there. The whole thing was over until he cheated and he rained fire and he was willing to take out all his own troops to get himself out of it. And it, Wanda had him just ugh, so close. Wanda had him. Yeah, um, like it's just. I think it's is is just the disconnect between the characters and the audience member there, because it's not the same Thanos. At least that's how it feels to me. Um, I, I can't say I can't speak for everybody else, but the rain fire is going to destroy them. But suddenly they turn their attention to the sky when something is entered the Earth's atmosphere, and we get the reemergence of Captain Marvel. Um, like we saw her earlier on the um, conference call with her new haircut, which I like Captain Marvel with short hair. I know a lot of people think. Like, oh, no, she looks terrible with short hair. I'm like, nope, I think Brie Lawson can, can rock it. And she destroys Thanos' ship, which is pretty much his whole home. Where That's why we get that shot of Thanos looking distraught when his ship plummets into the water next to him. And Peter now has the gauntlet and he's trying to... He activates insta-kill, which somehow got feathers ruffled for certain people. Like, Spider-Man killing people! I'm like... They're insects, okay? They're barely creatures. I don't even know if they're insects. They're like bioengineered androids, effectively. Like, they're not sentient. They're not living beings. They're just... It feels like they're even less than insects. Insects still do... Th- I mean, do things. Have, have a purpose. Homes, have a purpose. Yes, thank you. They're just there to be cannon fodder. Literally cannon fodder. That's all they are. And this is coming from a guy who recently shared the photo of Batman does not kill and uh, caught some flack for it. But yeah, I enjoyed that. Thank you. (laughs) No problem. (laughs) Um, And just like 
people who got got who got up and even on me. I'm just like, really, this is the this this is how you're spending your morning bitching to me about this. Anyway, um, so you, you now- know, earlier you commented this was like a comic book splash panel come to life. There's this one shot that I always think of for that Spider Man holding an Infinity Gauntlet while riding on Thor's hammer. <laughs> it's like <laughs> who, who, who would have ever thought we would get to a point, and it was thrown by Captain America. It wasn't even thrown by Thor. Who would imagine that we would get to a point where like that's something that's not plausible, but like happened. We saw that happen. That's where the Marvel Cinematic Universe has gotten us to at this point. Absolutely incredible. Right, like back in 2008, that sounds like a Mad Libs description. That doesn't sound like a plausible thing that could happen in any known universe. Yeah, that's uh, yes, it does sound like a Mad Libs. Okay, we need a person, Spider-Man. We need a noun, uh, the Infinity Gauntlet. Yeah, we need a mode of transportation, Thor's hammer. Yeah, it's it's absolutely ridiculous that we saw that, that we got to see that, that we have a movie we can watch with that in it. Right, and so Captain Marvel propositions spider-man for the infinity gauntlet here it's like hey Peter Parker, you, got some- <laughs> you got something for me <laughs> i mean how brie lawson reads that line it, like you could read that it'd be flirtatious there um which led to one of my favorite edits there like uh, thank you youtube like hey peter parker you got some for me you cut back to spider-man 3 I- i'll give you this when you fix this damn door yes yes <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but so now Captain Marvel is facing down the rest of the, um, Thanos' army where Peter points out or questions like, I don't know how they're going to get through there, but that's when Captain Marvel is not alone. And we have all the major female characters line up to defend Captain Marvel as they try and get the Infinity Gauntlet through the quantum realm and getting rid of it, which... A lot of insecure people thought, like, all the ladies you're trying to shove down, all those women stuff down our throats, rubble, rubble, rubble. And I look at it, and I'm like, what an awesome scene. And look at all these badass women that we have. It's another one of those shots, you know, Captain Marvel with the Scarlet Wish, with Rescue, with freaking Valkyrie on a Pegasus. <laughs> I'm like, it scene is awesome. I like it a lot. I know people have their issues with it. For me, it, it works. I like it. I would love to see, I'd love to see that female team up movie someday that, you know, they've talked about before. Uh, like the, the, the actors, the actresses have talked about it before. Um, Nothing's been announced, but I would be really excited if they do. Yeah, I mean, it's not subtle in the least. N- not not whatsoever. I don't think they're trying to be. No. It, but It's like, hey, girls, the superheroes aren't just for the boys. They're for everybody. And here's a whole bunch of badass women that you can look up to. Exactly. And, like, when it happened the first time on screen, like, like I was beaming with just like, holy shit, they're all on the same screen together. Um, and you, you gotta imagine how many little girls like were, or just young women were just like, who had to see all the heroes together on the screen all at the same time around the world and felt inspired by that. And I think that's why they did it. And yeah, it was a, I, the one criticism I, I will entertain is people wish Black Widow had been a part of it. And I totally get that as the first Obviously not the first female character in the MCU, but the first real female superhero in the MCU. 
I'm with you. I get it. But you know, I also thought of it as like the enhanced version of what they did in Infinity War when it was her, Black Widow, and Okoye and Wanda versus Proxima Midnight. Yeah. I mean, for a while, especially in the confines of this movie, Natasha was the soul of the Avengers. Yeah, yeah, I, I see what you did there. I see what you did there. <laughs> <laughs> Swing and a miss. Uh, <laughs> I, I don't know if I'd call it a miss. A bunt. A bunt. Uh, yeah, okay, a bunt. It's a sacrifice play. Somebody got on second base. Um, and uh, Thanos just destroys the... Uh, um, the the quantum van. I mean, how else I would describe that? Um, and tries to get the uh, gauntlet back from Captain Marvel, uh, but we finally get to see a Captain Marvel versus Thanos. And I'll never get tired of when they're struggling over the gauntlet. Thanos tries to headbutt Captain Marvel to no avail. And you're like, oh shit, he is totally screwed right now. But he cheats and uses a stone against her. In a really cool move, though. Just pull out the Power Stone Puncher and then put it back. Really cool move. Yeah, and prior to this, uh, Tony questions Doctor Strange. like, hey, 14 million uh, possibilities. Is this the one? And Strange says, if I tell you, it won't happen. And Tony gets a moment like, oh, Thanos has the gauntlet now. And he does make eye contact with Strange. And Strange just holds up one finger and Tony knows what he has to do. And I know a lot of people wonder, like, how did Tony get the stones away from the Iron Gauntlet? Like, they're really? like, it's just, I have seen consternation about that. I'm like, it's the same technology. It's his glove. Who do you think built it? <laughs> Precisely. <laughs> of course it works with his armor. <laughs> and just, whoop, sleight of hand gets the stones away from a Thanos who tries to snap it doesn't work and we see Tony now has the Infinity Stones in his suit which is killing him but thankfully the suit is what's keeping him alive and thank God for the editor mm-hmm. who yep. suggested this yep yep this this wasn't a line from the writers this wasn't from the directors as they're in the editing bay and it's just they're like it's not quite right oh we should have had him say this we're gonna have them say this. And they go back, they do the reshoot, and I, I heard it took some convincing for them to get Robert Downey Jr. to go back and do it again because he didn't want to get back into that headspace or something like that. But I'm I'm glad he did because it was the perfect way to end that battle. Yeah, and they shot the scene not too far from where he did his test screening for Iron Man. Mm-hmm. So it was really closing the loop there. So Tony says the immortal lines. He says, I am Iron Man. Snaps his finger. And Thanos and his armies it become like dust in the wind and disappear. However, it results in Tony's death. Yeah, it, it does. And he had kind of, I, I think in the Avengers movie, he had already proven he would make the sacrifice play, as Steve put it because he took the nuke back through the wormhole. But it, it it is, to me, very fitting that this movie ended with Steve retiring and Tony sacrificing himself for the fate of the universe when he's like, yeah, we'll try and do this, but the one thing I need to do is get back here for my family. And I think it, it's a it's a beautiful death scene. You've got Peter saying goodbye. You've got Pepper saying goodbye. 
Rhodey is there. I, there's that deleted scene where they all kind of take a knee to like pay respect. And I'm like, eh, good cut, good cut on that one. You know, it's like that's that's why you have the cutting room floor. It's like it was a good cut. I the scene in a vacuum is by itself, but it would not have worked inside the movie. Um, it, you know, I would have been fine with Captain America dying, and just be I, because I cared. But I care about Tony, too. And it's not that I didn't want Tony to live. It's just if I had to pick. And I I was fully convinced Cap dies, Tony retires. And I had it flipped. I had it backwards. I'm glad I had it backwards. But in the grand scheme of things, I didn't want either of them to die. You don't want any of your heroes to die. And it is a really, really cool moment. And I just, I love the bookend with the I Am Iron Man. I love that bookend. You know, I Am Iron Man ending the first movie and now effectively ending the 22nd movie. Yeah. And I'm glad they took out the kneeling of it because I'm like, it makes it look like a king. And like, nah, a little inappropriate there. And I'm just like, I'm glad they cut that. And then we see a video eulogy he gives to the Avengers and especially Morgan. And the callback to I Love You 3000, which is the 80-yard line. And, oh, geez. And just watching it for just review. And I'm like, from that video call like to the end, like I'm just crying the entire time uncontrollably. And seeing the funeral of Tony Stark, <laughs> the filmmakers in the commentary track said, the most logistically troubling shoot day to get all the schedules aligned to get everybody there on the same day to shoot this. Um, Because everybody's there. Everybody who is part of the Avengers, including the little kid from Iron Man 3 who's grown up, which let people question, like, who the hell is that kid in the background? Yeah, yeah. That one definitely threw people off. You know, while while Tony is giving his montage and stuff, there's this scene of Peter and Ned just seeing each other and like embracing. And I, I love that scene. It's like, I, I, you know, me and Spider-Man. So I have a real, a real love for those characters and his supporting cast there too. And I really, really appreciate like that whole little montage of like everybody won, everybody's happy, you know, Scott's with his family and uh, T'Challa's with his family and Peter gets to see Ned again. And, then I'm reminded of uh, the recent meme of all that's going on and Wanda's by herself crying in the foundations of her house. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, that's morbid. But yeah, obviously those things aren't all happening at the exact same time. But I, 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 did want, I didn't want to let that go by without mentioning Peter and Ned especially. Um, it, funny thing about that scene, the funeral scene, they told Tom Holland it was a wedding. And he's like looking. He has said he's like I'm looking around. And I'm like, where's Robert at? Why is he here? <laughs> I I'm like that's so funny because you know he's he's had a history with some spoilers, so probably a good thing he didn't actually know what was happening at the time. Yeah, I mean, whether it be the video of him releasing the Infinity War poster accidentally <laughs> yes. online, which is still funny. Um. Uh, and just like all the interviews of people telling you that, but, 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 don't say anything. Um, yeah, it, it is. It is a Return of the Jedi ending where we get to see everybody's lives throughout the world, throughout the worlds, um, reacting to the Thanos not being there anymore. 
uh, Thor joins the Guardians, and we all know who's in charge. Of course, we all know. Of course, <laughs> the we hard, know. the we hard know. stare, <laughs> the hard stare that Thor gives. Uh, Chris uh, Hemsworth. Chris Hemsworth is hilarious. He really is so funny. And the chemistry that he had with the Guardians cast in both Infinity War and this, I am real excited to see them again together. And we know we're going to at least for a little bit in Thor Love and Thunder. But I'm like, man, at the end of Thor Love and Thunder, if Jane is still Thor, if she's the the mighty Thor and he's just back to being the Odin son, please go with the Guardians. Please join the Guardians officially. I love seeing him with them. It's so good. I mean, I'm not sure how... If you've seen the leaks, the, the set photos of Natalie Portman and Thor in London Thunder, she is the mighty Thor because she looks oh jacked. Oh my gosh, the- yes. <laughs> and I'm just like, oh my god, Natalie Portman looks so jacked right now. And to quote a line from the first Wonder Woman movie, I am both frightened and aroused. And like, <laughs> yeah, that's why I, I see why I see those uh, set pics right there. Um. And so Valkyrie is now the new king of Asgard, pretty much, or queen. I don't know what the distinction is there, but they people call her the king, and he says to her, "Asgard has a king." So, oh, okay, I, I'm going with king until I hear something else. Then Valkyrie is the king of Asgard, um, and so now. Cap has to right the wrongs pretty much by putting everything back before it screws up the space time continuum, as it were. And he and Bucky say goodbye, and you're like, "Huh?" And Bucky's got a weird longing look, looking at Cap there. Bucky knew he knew. Oh, he totally did. He knew because why else would he say, "I'm gonna miss you"? Because to him, he's like, "You're gonna be gone for five minutes." No, I'm sorry. I don't care how close you are. You don't miss him for five minutes. He knew. Yeah. And he's like, all right. And they have a call back to the first Avenger. Like, all right. Uh, don't be stupid like that. I can't. You're taking all the stupid with you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, Cap goes to the time portal. And he misses his time to come back. And they're wondering, like, what? Did something go wrong? But that's when they look over and see an old man sitting by the, the lake next to Avengers compound. And we see... A very old Steve Rogers looking a lot like Joe Biden right there sitting there. And I know people made those jokes there. And I was like, oh, my God, it is Joe Biden when, when people pointed it out to me. But it's nice to see Cap live the life. He lived a life. He said it was a beautiful life. Um, I really like this moment. I know there's a lot of debate over who should get the shield but as is i think this works really well because i I just don't see bucky being in a place where he could take the shield right now where everybody knows like his past is the winter soldier it just it does to me i just don't see it but he's there he's supportive of sam i i expect to get the uh it, it seems like in the falcon and winter soldier we're gonna get the I, I anticipate it's going to be like almost like brothers where it's like they hate each other. They're constantly ribbing each other. And at the same time, they have complete faith and trust in each other. And I think that's what we're going to see in this show. And I am 
so so excited to see i when that show got announced i was pumped and frankly i'm glad it's not a movie i'm glad we're picking up with the storyline and it's not a movie because it will be longer we will have more content as a result it would it's gonna be like twice as long as a movie would have been maybe more than that and this whole scene where he gets sam gets the shield you know he steve gives it to him and tells how does it feel and sam just replies with it feels like somebody else's and Steve says, well, it isn't beautiful. Absolutely beautiful moment. And you even get a little bit of a hint of like the Captain America theme in the background there. And Sam just kind of takes it in for a moment and says, thank you. I'll do my best. And he's like, that's why it's yours. Cause you'll do your best. That's when Sam notices the ring. You want to tell me about her and you get one of the absolute greatest memes ever to come out of it. No, I don't think I will. <laughs> um, I assume he went to Wakanda as an old man to get a new shield forged at one point. I've wondered the the same question. I don't know the answer to that. Um, maybe? I, I don't know. Maybe he stole it from a younger version of himself. I don't know. Um, I, it's one of those questions that's in the category of, I'm curious, but it doesn't ruin anything for me not knowing the answer. Yeah. And I don't know if you want your Captain America be the person who's potentially who killed the Ken, uh, killed JFK um, in the past. As somebody who's got shady parts of it. And also we got to acknowledge the fact that, yeah, that a African-American Captain America is something that we've never have not seen in live action before. And I know it's been done in the comics, but a lot of people get to see themselves on the screen like that all of a sudden. Yeah. I think it's important to uh, include Completely agree. Um, I, I like how I like. Have you heard the story of how Anthony Mackie found out he was getting the shield? No. Uh, Chris Evans is the one who told him accidentally. He, the story is apparently Anthony Mackie went over to his apartment or his house wherever they were shooting, and he's like, "Hey, we're we're doing this scene. Uh, that's so awesome. I get to give you the shield." And he's like, "I don't know what you're talking about," and he hadn't seen that part of the script yet. So Chris Evans was he showed him the script and. It, it's pretty cool. And I guess later Evans felt kind of bad. Like maybe he, he took a moment from the Russos that they, or from Feige that they should have been the one, but mm-hmm. I don't, I like it. I like that both in the movie and outside the movie, Captain America is the one who got to pass it, pass it along. That's amazing right there. I bet you like the Russos were probably just like, God damn it, Chris. We expect this kind of chicanery from Tom Holland, not you. Yeah, Mark Ruffalo would have told, but not you. Come on. <laughs> oh, man. Um, yeah, um, but one moment I want to speak up before we end this movie. I'd be remiss. It's when Happy Hogan is speaking to Morgan there, and he's consoling her about this. And he's like, what do you want? Like, he asks if she's hungry. She says, yeah, what do I want? What do you want? Cheeseburgers. Your father loved cheeseburgers. I'll get you all the cheeseburgers you want. And, like, just break my heart while you're at it in their movie. Like, ah. Yeah. You know, it's the first thing he wanted when when Iron Man, when Tony got rescued in Iron Man 1. He wanted a cheeseburger. Nice and to see that stayed in the family. Especially if you know how Tony Stark, I mean, when, how Robert Downey Jr. got clean and what he wanted when he got clean was cheeseburgers and Burger King cheeseburgers specifically. And that's how he's like, these are terrible. I'm never eating these again. <laughs> um, 
but yeah, and so the pretty the I forget like how does the oh how do I forget the how the movie officially ends is a flashback to the 1940s where Cap and Peggy are finally reunited and they finally get their dance. You finally get their dance. Close out Steve's arc. I know there's rumors that he may come back. I've already theorized one possible way that could happen. But if he never does come back, what a beautiful ending to an amazing character. He is truly, I think, the best character in the MCU, Um, even more so than my beloved Spider-Man, even more so than Iron Man. I think he is the best character in the MCU. And just what a phenomenal way for him to go out. I'm glad for the character that he got that dance. Yeah. I think we all, since 2011, we all wanted him to have that dance. And he finally got to do that. And then we get these credits here of, like, saying goodbye to our people, to our, all these almost family members at this point here, ending with Robert Downey Jr. And the movie doesn't have a post credit scene, but, oh, the last sound we hear is Tony Stark in the cave building the Mark One suits, mm-hmm. and we all. Uh, I remember. I was, I remember. I legit turned my head to the screen to hear clearer, and then realized, oh, he's building the first Iron Man suit. I say it's my friend Dakota, and like, I can on his face, I can tell his heart. If it's not broken at this point, did break at that moment there, and we all kind of walked out overwhelmed. Every one of our of the people in the theater there and since the theater i went to the amc near me is next to a college that is very multicultural, and so it was a multicultural um theater right there so everybody from their walk of life felt that moment there walking out of that movie like you said it might be a very long time to have something to approach that that uh that clanking sound iron man building it I, I stayed and watched it and listened to it every time. I'm like, every time. The movie is not over until you hear that sound. It's the perfect sound to go out on. And final thoughts on Avengers Endgame. I mean, it's it's my favorite It's my favorite movie. Let's call it what it is. The, the comic book movies is the type. I'm not, I, I've always thought of myself as a TV guy more. I like the long-form storytelling. I appreciate the long-form storytelling far more than I do uh, short short stories. I, not to say I don't like short stories or I don't like one-off movies, but it's just the love I have for a longer story. It, it's already just right in my wheelhouse. This movie was such... They wrote a big check with this movie. When they announced Infinity War Part 1 and 2 and what would become Infinity War and Endgame... They were writing a check, and I feel like they were able to deliver. They were able to cash it. They were able to keep their promise that they did with this. And not everybody could have. Not everyone would have. Not, uh, I mean, call it what it is. I don't think anyone else could have at the time. And to date, still nobody has. And nobody's really in a position to do something like this. Marvel's not in a position to do something like this again right now. Maybe someday they'll get close. I don't know if they'll ever truly achieve it. Maybe they will. But for me, it is my favorite Marvel movie. It is my favorite movie, period. And it is one that I can I can watch it at any time. I, I It's one of those things where it's like I can just talk about this movie at any time, 
in depth. I don't need to have seen it again or whatever, but sure, of course I rewatched it before this because it's like, well, yeah, that's a good excuse to turn it on. You know, I love the Russo movies all. I mean, you asked me about doing this Russo retrospective and I'm like, well, yeah, what a great excuse to rewatch these movies. And since we did this, I've already rewatched Winter Soldier and I'm going to be rewatching Civil War in the next couple of weeks as part of my personal Falcon and Winter Soldier prep. And I, to me, they are the greatest comic book directors of all time. Nobody is, nobody even approaches them. It doesn't mean there are other great ones. Of course there are. But for me, for my money, for my time, nobody approaches the work that those two have done. And then with their screenwriters, Marcus and McFeely, Absolutely. I love all four of these movies. All four of these movies, it's like it took the next one of these four to knock off the top of the pedestal. When Winter Soldier came out, I was like, holy crap, I think I like this more than the Avengers movie. I don't know if I'm supposed to do that, but I think (laughs) I do. And then Civil War comes out, and then Infinity War, and finally Endgame. And it's not like I watched a movie one time and I'm like, Oh my gosh, it's my favorite movie. It's like, no, I watched these a lot and I, I listen and I read to, I listen to a lot of podcasts. I read about them. I talk with people about, like I analyze these movies. No, I'm still very comfortable saying Avengers in game is my favorite MCU project. It probably will be forever. And that's okay. That doesn't mean there's not other projects coming down that I'm not going to absolutely love. I loved WandaVision. It's not, it's not this, but I loved WandaVision for what it was and for what it did. And so I'm just happy and thankful that not only did I get 23 movies, and I truly enjoy every one of them to varying levels, but I truly enjoy every one of them. And they're still going. And they're still going. And it just, the rewatch gets longer and longer and by extension, more fun every time. Yeah, like, whenever the next Avengers movies come out, are you going to include the TV series in your rewatch? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I before, in the before times, I wanted to do a chronological rewatch of the MCU because I've, I've always done it release order. I've never done it chronological. And I was like, okay, well, I'm going to wait for Black Widow even though we know we already know when the bulk of that takes place, and I'm going to wait for the Eternals because we don't know when the bulk of that movie takes place. And so just in case it is the bulk of it's in the past, I want to be able to slot it in appropriately. So, And then from there on, we pretty much know when the rest are taking place. So, yeah, I will. So when I'm watching this stuff, you know, I'll, I'll go through Infinity War and Endgame, and then I will go to WandaVision next because WandaVision chronologically, at least as of right now, is the next thing after Endgame, and then go to Spider-Man Far From Home. Spider-Man Far From Home takes place about eight months later. WandaVision picks up like three three weeks after this. It's part of it. Of course I will. Just making sure, just clarifying there. Yeah, it, it is a gargantuan monument to their efforts in these movies that this is such a success as it was. Do I think the Roof Brothers are the best comic book movie directors out there? No, I still say Sam Raimi is, and he's going to be back in the fold with the MCU in Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. Um... But it is a credit just they were able to pull this off that like in four movies they they did up the game up the ante in every movie there did I feel like all four were successful in, in every shape and form no I've had my nitpicks along the way especially with this one but I'm not I'm not going to be like well screw this movie I'm never watching it again no 
I have problems with like even my my favorite movie of all time, Terminator Two. I still have issues with it from here and there, but because no movie is perfect, uh, and because it's made by humans, and humans are despite everything cannot create perfection. Perfection is is an idea that we can strive for and aim for, but we'll never reach it. But it's always worth a try. And even though that may sound like a fruitless endeavor to do that, but it keeps you on your toes. And to see this being the concluding chapter of a long-form story, you're right. Something that Alfred Hitchcock says, he considered movies to be like short stories, and to a lesser extent, they are. And to see this as like a like the a great comic book run coming to an end, it really is satisfying. And especially the four movies in relation to each other, it's really wonderful to see that they were able to just... They didn't buckle under the pressure of going from Winter Soldier to the Civil War to Infinity War and Endgame. And these are a lot of fun. And I know the, every movie deserves its place in, in there. Some consider it cinema, some consider it don't. I find it to be a little light entertainment there. And I think I said that uh, that line from Captain Logan at Geek Evolution, I, I sent that quote to you from a recent review. He said that I'd rather deal with cheap, fun, popcorn trash than boring, pretentious trash. And I even this may sound derogatory, like, no, this is this is popcorn flair. It's never meant to be other than that. And they succeed in that and, and so many levels there. And I could keep on rambling, but I'll end it out soon. But after this, I thought, I think I might be done with Marvel. I don't think it needed to be topped again. Then the pandemic hit, and I was really needing something to turn my mind off things, and thankfully WandaVision was there, and so now I'm looking forward to Falcon the Winter Soldier and Black Widow, which, like, you go back to 2019, me, and I'm like, no, I'm, I don't need that. But right now, yeah, I'm really looking forward to Black Widow, and I'm probably going to be seeing it in theaters. I'll do it safely. I'll do it responsibly. And I'm looking forward to see the continuing adventures of these characters, the ones that are left. Whew. Now... Brent, if people want to follow you on social media to yell at you for all your bad takes and everything and how rabble, 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 and so on and so forth, where can people find you on your podcast and your social media links? Sure. I'm on Twitter at Brentac Prime. Uh, the podcast, uh, if you go to squadcastmedia.com, you will find it. I co-host uh, both Fans Without Borders and Marvel Squadcast. Very nice. And if you want to follow me on social media, you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at this is Tim Rooney Rooney as an R O O N E Y. My my other podcast, please rewind the RF four, the RM Retro Show, uh, part of the Real Fans Four Real Movies Podcast Network, where I talk about movies when it comes to anniversaries, and my YouTube channel Through the Lens Productions, YouTube.com slash Through the Lens Productions. Through as if you're going through a window or a door, and. Again, Brent, thank you for taking time out of your evening to talk Avengers Endgame with me and going on this long journey of the Russo's uh, filmography of the MCU. Yeah, absolutely. You know, all kidding aside, we had tried to schedule it a couple times and just couldn't get it to work. I'm glad we finally found a time. It's it's been on the back of my mind. It's like, ah, oh, we, we we need to we need to do this. That's a discussion that we need to have, and I am thankful that we have been able to have it. And I appreciate you inviting me to to revisit four of my favorite movies with you. Of course, and. I'm sure you'll be on in the future and uh, podcasting endeavors I have later down the road. Everybody who's listening, subscribe to these shows so you never miss an episode. Leave us a five-star re- review on Apple Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts. It really helps get the word out there. 
Uh, come back next time as we continue to talk about geek and pop culture. And we'll be speaking to you soon.